This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 70. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiyasha, and today we've got another really packed episode for you, full of big news! You thought the episode we did earlier in the year called Big News Roundup was full of big news? Well, you were wrong! This is the true Big News Roundup! It has the biggest news of the year! It has pages upon pages of news that we have to cover! And we're not only covering news today, because we're also going to talk about the newest Jumpstart Chainsaw Man, as well as the new Ruby manga. So there's a lot to cover on the show, and I'm excited to do it, even though it's going to be extremely tiring. Oh man, yeah, expect this to be probably at least three hours. Um, that's gonna be fun to edit. News episodes are infamously my favorite episodes to edit. <laughs> But we're starting off with some really exciting news. The biggest news of the year. I think you would agree. Because what is the biggest thing in the manga world? The biggest thing in the manga world is Shonen Jump. So much so that it is like the only magazine we have over here. The only manga magazine we have over here. We have a digital Shonen Jump. We've had Shonen Jump as a presence in North America since 2002. And then in 2012, it made the digital transition where we start getting simultaneous releases with Japan. Within the same day, chapters came out over here as they did in Japan. But now, Riz Media is taking it a step further. Because by the time you're listening to us, there is no more Shonen Jump magazine. The last issue of the digital Shonen Jump has come out and there's not going to be any more because starting on December 17th, all Shonen Jump series are going to be simultaneous with Japan's same day Sundays as Japan's same release time and they're going to be simul-published for free. That's right. You don't have to subscribe to the digital Shonen Jump magazine to read new chapters of all your favorite series anymore. New chapters of One Piece, My Hero Academia, Promise Neverland, you can read them for free on Viz's website starting December 17, 2018. Not only that, the most recent three chapters of any given simul published series will be available to read at any given time. But that's not all, because instead of continuing the digital magazine, Wiz is doing something even bigger. For only a $2 a month subscription, you can have access to the Shonen Jump Digital Vault, which contains more than 10,000 chapters worth of Shonen Jump manga, and you can read the entire entirety of any series that they have available under the Shonen Jump label. You want to read all of Dragon Ball, you can read all of Dragon Ball. You want to read all of One Piece, you can read all of One Piece. You have a limit of 100 chapters a day on the browser and app. But think about it, you have access to the entirety of all these series for only $2 a month. The Shonen Jump magazine costs $1 per issue. And this is a crazy amount of content you're getting for 
the same amount of price as you would get for a Shonen Jump yearly subscription. You get so much more. It's insanity. So actually, uh, I did the math on this the other day. Um, so uh, what was it originally? The um, the the price for a an annual subscription to the Viz Weekly Shonen Jump was about twenty five ninety nine, I believe. Yeah, twenty six dollars. So this is even cheaper than that. This is like twenty four four dollars. Yeah, that's it's 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 yeah, like you said, it's just barely twenty four dollars. So you're getting so much more manga than you would within the year for literally about two to three dollars cheaper than than uh, than the last uh, subscription model, which is kind of insane. Mm hmm. And so what does this mean if you are currently a Shonen Jump subscriber, if you subscribe to the digital magazine? Well, not to worry, because they are going to transfer your membership over to this new service, basically for the same amount of months as you've already been renewed up through with, you know, the magazine subscription, and you get an additional three months free. So no need to worry there if you're a Shonen Jump subscriber. But yeah, this is an insane investment. Yeah, um, I kind of can't believe they're doing this. Like, I think I tweeted about this the same day it was announced that, like, I literally did not think there was any way Viz could top themselves, but they did it. I mean, this is huge. This is what people have wanted for a long time. Like, a kind of Netflix for manga. And you could argue that Crunchyroll manga is sort of like this. But even they have more restrict. Uh, restrictions when it comes to their catalog but with this shonen jump digital vault you're getting the entirety of insanely long insanely popular series that you can read and not only that this fix is an issue that a lot of people have had with the shonen jump is that you know the volume releases were always very far behind compared to where the magazine was at so if there was always this gap of chapters that if you followed along with the uh, volumes, you couldn't just jump into the new uh, chapter in Shona Jump because there was those gap of chapters. And back issues only extended as far back as 13 weeks. And usually volume releases, they're going to be about at most a year behind. Uh, very rarely even shorter than that. So you'll always be around 30, 40 chapters behind where the magazine is at. So this fixes that problem entirely because with the monthly subscription, you have access to every chapter of this given series. So if you catch up through the volumes, you can subscribe to the digital service and you have the rest of the chapters right there for you to read and get caught up. So it fixes a huge problem people have been complaining about for a long time, just entirely. On that same token, you know, you know, I, I think this also implies that, like, you know, uh, most people probably won't even have to buy volumes of stuff now. Like, I, yeah. you know, you can you can read the entirety of 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 a lot of their series now. So, like, if you wanted to, you could just subscribe to this and just, you know, cut out the middleman and just if you want to read all in one piece, you could just read all in one piece through the service now. Think about it. One Piece is over 90 volumes long. If you were to buy a volume on Viz's service, an average volume is $8. 
right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So think about that. You are going to pay like $720 to have to read all of One Piece if you buy it through volumes. But with this Shonen Jump digital service, you can read it all in just a little over 10 days for only $2. That's pretty insane, honestly. I, I really can't help but wonder, like, I, I want to see if, I don't know, do, do you think this will have an effect on their volume sales at all? I don't think so, because I think the people who buy volumes will continue to buy volumes because they like those particular series. And I think that, if anything, it'll just get more subscribers to the service because people will want to be up to date with every series. So if they're following your volumes and they want to get caught up, they'll get the service and they'll stay subscribed. And there's no reason to unsubscribe because of how great a deal it is. I could see a lot of teenagers being into this, like, and man, like I, I could tackle this from so many angles, like, um, the, the response to the, to this announcement I've seen has been surprisingly very mixed in terms of, what? you know, how, well, from cause there, there are, obviously there are people who are very for this. And I mean, obviously at a dollar 99 a month, like that's. I, I struggle to think of anyone who can't afford that unless, you know, they're just that financially desolate, in which in that case you have bigger problems. But um, you know, like I've I've seen I've seen people online who are like, Well, I don't have an allowance, so I still won't be able to uh afford this and I'm like, How? How can you not this afford is $24 this? Twenty four dollars a year. A movie ticket is fifteen dollars. Do you go to see movies? For less than the price of two movie tickets, you can read <laughs> over 10,000 chapters of manga. Hours, though, infinitely more hours of entertainment. Look, you have a 100-chapter restriction per day, but think about that. That's like at least 5 to 10 hours worth of content right there, depending on how fast you read and depending on what series you read. You have so many more hours for such a lower price per month than almost any other form of entertainment. This is the most insane deal in entertainment. If you can't afford this, you probably can't afford to buy manga or much entertainment in general. So, I mean, this is, uh, there's not nothing to, you know, not to disparage those people. I mean, those people are in a, a hard situation and they can't afford this, but... There are so many people who are complaining, I'm sure are complaining, but that's who can afford this, who are, you know, buying other forms of entertainment that cost way more than what this would cost, and yet they continue to pirate manga just because they perceive it as more free. They don't have to pay anything to do that, which is just sickening. So, as Sasaki said in the video announcement for this, this, by subscribing to the service, you are supporting manga. Not only that, you are respecting manga. You know, this is the legally available service. This is the service that supports them directly. And that is how you are paying respect to their work, is by using this service and reading chapters the same time as they release in Japan, like other Japanese readers of Shonen Jump. And... The official translations that have been approved by Shueisha and the mangaka themselves. 
Like, this is the legitimate service. This is, and it's insanely deal. This is the most affordable reading manga has ever been. It's just incomparable. There's no excuse. If you have the money and you, that you spend to buy any for other form of entertainment, but you, I don't see how you can't afford this. It's, see, that's my thing, too. It's like... I, I have to imagine that even the most broke of teenagers can be able to afford this. Which is who I'm assuming this is This is probably going to end up being catered to. If you have a comfortable income, I mean, even if you're a teenager, you have... I'm sure you have $24. Like, look, just to eat... Just to eat out at a at McDonald's, right? If you're if you get something at McDonald's, you're gonna pay like what eight ten bucks, right? So think about it for like the cost of like two or two and a half meals at McDonald's, you could get you can get all this content from Show to Jump, right? Like this is more affordable than eating out at some places. Like literally, if if you have two dollars to be able to buy like a McDouble, then you have enough money to support manga. Like that's kind of insane. Yeah. Um. You know, it's also worth mentioning that you know, unfortunately, if you live in a country where you don't have access to this, then you know that that still kind of sucks. But licensing in certain countries, I know, is just a, such a big hassle, a big pain. Which you know, if you happen to live in a country where you don't have access to this, then you know, uh, my condolences to you because because I've seen a lot of that too, where it's like, well, this isn't available in my country, so you know, what, what am I supposed to do? I'm I'm sure if Sasaki, you know, if he had a choice and if he had the power that, like, he he wants this stuff to be available globally, and I'm sure, hopefully, at some point, we'll get to a point where you know that's feasible. But you know, until then, like, I'm sure the people at Viz like are doing whatever they can to make their stuff as available as they can as they can get so i mean this access to shonen jump content is cheaper than it is in japan like in japan they pay ten dollars a month for shonen jump and we already were only paying four dollars a month for shonen jump issues and sure we weren't getting every series in the japanese jump but still that's an insane amount of difference already there and now this is even more like convenient for people who have access to the Viz Shonen Jump because this is even less amount of money for an extremely higher amount of content. Like, so much more. Like, it's incomparable. Like, even the Japanese readers don't have access to this content at this affordable a price. So, yeah, that's, wow. how can you complain about this? Like, if anything, I... I feel like Japan should follow Invis's example and retool their digital Shonen Jump service to be along these same lines too. Because I, like Sasaki says, I think this is probably the future of manga consumption. And I'm hoping this does extremely well for Viz because I know this is a huge gamble. I know that everyone of Viz is working really hard to get this up and running and launch. Working weekends even. So, you know, I am really hoping that this is a huge success and i want to see this paved the way for similar uh subscription models from other companies in the future and even within viz i would love to see a shoujo beat equivalent for this for all the series under viz's shoujo beat labels so you know i think that this is a huge trailblazing uh, event for the manga world right now this is like an insanely big deal 
and it is only good for the consumer. It is only good for manga fans. And you, if you love Shonen Jump manga and you want to re- continue reading Shonen Jump manga, like you can read new chapters for free, but you can also subscribe $2 a month and have access to the entire catalog and read so many different series. Like everything this has digitally available right now and the promise of even more. Like... <laughs> there are subtle visual clues in their trailer for this that perhaps we could start seeing uh, simul pubs for Demon Slayer, Kometsu Yaiba, or Haikyuu. You know, they were alongside all the other characters from current ongoing series visits simul publishing. So, you know, crossing fingers, like, the amount of content will only continue to grow from where it is at launch. Like I, I think the one good, th- uh, one of the many good things I should say about this new venture is that, you know, because th- there have been so many requests for for simul publish uh, for simul pubs of stuff like Kimetsu no Yaiba and IQ especially, but you know, uh, like if they still follow, you know, it, basically, I think the fact that they're done with their weekly Shonen Jump magazine, while it is a shame, and like I'm, I'm gonna miss reading the magazine. Um, I mean, this is more convenient for the most amount of people. Like, I love the magazine, but I'm also one of the rare people who I think does actually read every single series in Jump. Like, Colton, you don't read every series in Jump. A lot of people don't read every series in Jump. They only read the series they're interested in. So exactly. by removing the magazine, you know, now they can just navigate to the series they want, read the new chapter, and they don't have, and they, you know, they aren't paying for all these other series necessarily or like they don't uh you don't have to subscribe to like the magazine uh, anymore to just read the one series you want like now you can read that for free and then with the service you can read even more of that series in its back catalog too but like you have so many options now of how you want to continue uh, reading new chapters and new series i i agree with all those points um but i was also gonna say you know I, I think it's a good thing that they've done away with um, with the magazine model at this point because, you know, there are so many series that, like, people really wanted to see in the magazine. But I think due to probably the amount of people they have working on the magazine at a time, like, they, they can only add so much to the workload of that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, space restrictions. So I'm I'm hoping that... You know, now that they've done away with that model, that maybe they'll have more freedom to add more stuff. Like, you know, I like maybe for instance, like I'm like we were kind of talking off mic. Like, you know, I I have a feeling that they probably won't. Like, for instance, they probably won't stop their. Um, I can't imagine they won't stop their jumpstart initiative. I mean, it probably won't be the same as it was in the magazine. It'll probably carry on in some form through the service hopefully like they'll still preview new series but i'm hoping maybe this will this will give them the opportunity to actually add new series like past their chapter threes if you know if enough people want them maybe you know just stuff like that like i'm hoping this will give them the opportunity now that they not that they don't necessarily have those space restrictions you know they can they can actually add more new series to their simul public uh to their simul pubs and you know, maybe even um, we were also talking about the soft mic, you know, you know, at, at least add series that you were only able to read through back issues of Jump. Like, you know, Maxi and I constantly talk about uh, during our canceled Jump manga uh, podcast episodes about how stuff like uh, 
Hi-Fi Cluster, Love Rush, and Stealth Symphony, etc. You know, those are only available if you have the back issues to those magazine issues. And if you don't, you have no way to read those legally. And hopefully, once they get this thing up and running, that maybe we'll, we'll, we'll finally see full releases of those series and people will actually be able to read those now. So, I mean, basically my point being, you know, while I'm sad to see the magazine gone, I have a hard time disagreeing with the fact that I think this is just going to give them more freedom to add more content. I agree. All right, guys. Hey, just wanted to uh, cut into the conversation real quick to kind of add a quick little addendum to our uh, Shonen Jump discussion here, uh, as we do have some new info that I wanted to make sure to include in this episode of the podcast so that we weren't late on uh, reporting it on the next episode. Uh, But uh, so uh, in terms of whether they'd be adding a new series to this new Shonen Jump model or not, uh, it was confirmed uh, by Andy Nakatani, the editor-in-chief of the Viz uh, Shonen Jump, in the basically the very last issue of the magazine uh, that there will be more simul pubs coming, uh, including this current set of jump starts. Uh, so uh, they'll be adding uh, Chainsaw Man, Neolation, and the tentatively titled Gokute Higuma, all as new series. They will not be jump starts per se, because they'll basically be running them past their chapter threes, as was also confirmed on uh, this week's Shut and Jump podcast that. Uh, They'll basically add pretty much almost every new series to come out of the Japanese Shonen Jump from this point on. Um, I'm assuming, you know, except for the really, like, raunchy or uh, sexually explicit ones. I think uh, Lady Justice being an example of something that uh, Viz never really picked up. I heard it wasn't very good anyway. Um, So, yeah, uh, they basically confirmed that jump starts really aren't going to be a thing anymore going forward, which makes sense. Um... I mean, as we kind of talked about on the show, like, uh, now that they're not restricted to this magazine format, they basically have all the freedom to add as much as they want, as long as they have enough people to work on these series, which I'm assuming they do if they're, uh, if they're planning to add even more new series as they come out now, and they're not just going to be like, like, they're not just going to be previewing everything, they're going to be adding everything, it seems, or at least that's what they want to do. So I guess from this point on, um, whether we continue our uh, jumpstart discussions on the show is uh, is a bit up in the air now that, um, you know, because, uh, I mean, in, in my personal opinion, uh, the jumpstart discussions were worth doing because, because of the fact that uh, we only really got previews of these series and weren't really sure if they were ever going to be picked up fully by Viz. But now that we know that these are going to get picked up from now on... Uh, I don't know. Me personally, I feel like they might may not be worth doing, but, you know, uh, Lum and I have been kind of talking off mic, and he thinks that, uh, you know, it's still worth covering new pubs on the show, which I do kind of agree, but, uh, you know, uh, so we're probably going to be uh, retooling that part of the show in particular in some way, shape, or form, but... Uh, for now, we're, ba- we're 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 still going to be talking about Chainsaw Man on this episode uh, in a few minutes here, uh, as well as covering Neolation and Gokute Higuma uh, at a later date, uh, hopefully before the end of the year. So we'll finish this round of jump starts, but uh, uh, we'll we'll kind of basically be talking behind the scenes, seeing uh, how we want to cover simul pubs on the show from now on here. 
But uh, anyway, so speaking of simulpubs, um, they're going to be adding even more stuff, actually, to their already growing simulpubs. So uh, in addition to those three new series, they are going to be starting simulpubs for Act Age, Kimetsu no Yaiba, Haikyuu, and Jujutsu Kaisen uh, as well. So basically, take those new new series, the other already established series I just mentioned, and all the monthly series they've been uh, they've been doing, uh, both in the show to jump in the free section, such as Blue Exorcist, Seraph, uh, Dragon Ball Super, and whatnot. Oh, and uh, I guess Jigoku Raku. I think that's monthly. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So basically, combined all their simul pubs together, this makes for a total of 25 simultaneously published titles that they're doing for free, uh, which is kind of insane. So. Even if you don't sign up for their service, uh, for their paid service, I mean, um, you still get access to the three newest chapters of 25 different series for free. That's, like, I know we've said it millions and millions of times on the show already, but that's insane. Um, And I guess one other thing probably worth mentioning is that uh, Andy actually also confirmed on the Shonen Jump podcast that, um, that whatever isn't available in the vault at the time of their launch on the 17th uh, is basically being worked on because um, essentially it seems they basically want to, they, they want people to have access to everything Shonen Jump related. They've ever like translated and published. Uh, Cause I think somebody on the podcast asked about like, like, you know, uh, extra stuff from like the magazine and one shots and whatnot. Um, so it seems like stuff like that will probably be added in the future if it isn't already in there. And, uh, Personally, I've been talking to a lot of my mutuals on Twitter about stuff, say, for example, that doesn't already have a digital release, even in Japan, like stuff like Slam Dunk. I mean, there are weird exceptions like that that don't have a digital release at all that I'm hoping maybe they uh, they maybe somehow get to add at some point um, or stuff that uh, stuff like Ice Shield 21 that uh, I don't know if it has a digital release in Japan. Um, I know it doesn't have one here. Um, if it does have one in Japan, though, I can't imagine that they won't add that at some point. I hope they add Ice Shield 21, though. That would save me a lot of money and time on buying the volumes so we can maybe finally cover that on the show. That'd be great. And uh, hell, even stuff that maybe like they started but kind of canceled halfway through, like Reborn and Gintama, which I know those are those are probably pipe dreams. I mean... At the most, when it comes to stuff like that, we can maybe expect, like, oh, maybe they'll add what they've already translated. But as far as, like, if they wanted to translate even more, like, that's kind of up in the air. Like, so, again, there are weird exceptions like that. But, like, Andy made it seem like that um, they basically want to be able to make everything available. Like, everything, everything. So I appreciate that ambition. And uh, hopefully they can make that come true. I guess they also mentioned that they're going to still keep their Nihongo lessons in the form of like blogs and stuff, as well as like the author comments from the actual issues of Jump. Um, so for anyone curious, they're, they are keeping those, which I think the author comments are kind of cool. And so uh, but basically, if anybody wants more info, um, basically on the launch of uh, the new Shonen Jump, I will I will leave a link to this particular episode of the Shonen Jump podcast just for the sake of uh, citing my sources here. 
but those were just a few tidbits from the from that episode of the podcast that I thought I'd share with you guys in case maybe you don't listen to the Shonen Jump podcast. Uh, unfortunately, I I don't really keep up with the podcast. I kind of had to find out from uh, from other people who do, but I made sure to listen to that podcast to make sure I could like pick up on whatever tidbits I could just to let you guys know. Um, but yeah, again, uh, that'll be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, so tons of new series coming. That's that's really exciting. Um, I can't wait for Act Age personally, and uh, I have been wanting to get into Kimetsu no Yaiba. And hell, uh, I know I wasn't like super into it when we covered the Jumpstart run of it, but uh, maybe I'll even give Jujutsu the the that's a that's a that's a that's a tongue twister. Uh, maybe I'll even give Jujutsu Kaisen a chance. Um, I hear it's been getting pretty good. Um, but no, yeah, a lot of really awesome stuff coming that I thought I'd just kind of cut in here and let you guys know about since we were kind of speculating about some of this stuff on this episode. So um guess let's get back to our discussion. I mean, there's already so much content, but they're going to go above and beyond and provide even more. So really, there's just so much to look forward to with this new service. If you're a Shonen Jump fan, like you are only getting something great by subscribing to it and if even if you don't subscribe to it again you can read the new chapters of all the series they're simul publishing for free it's insane yeah and um you know something else i want to bring up too is that um you know this is also great for people like me who you know uh we've kind of thrown the idea back and forth about uh you know having episodes dedicated to certain series at some point like you know naruto and bleach and whatnot uh the only problem being is that um i don't own either series and your library system is terrible and doesn't have enough manga no yeah the libraries in my area are, like you said yeah they're terrible in that you know like th- they have maybe like at least half of those series but like it, it's it's really hard for me to like actually read all of those series legally without spending a bunch of money you know and like just like in general you know when when we decide to cover certain things on the podcast like we we plan certain episodes out ahead of time so that like i can actually budget my money in a way where i can actually collect series digitally or you know just in some in some way shape or form so that i actually have them on me to be able to read like you know besides like longer stuff like Naruto and Bleach, like, you know, I, like, personally, I want to cover things like Hoshinengi or, uh, or Muyo and Roji, like, stuff I've been really wanting to get to for years, but I won't be able to get to for a while because I just don't have the money to buy everything, and now with this service, like, you know, I'm assuming, you know, those series that I just mentioned will probably be available too, so, like, this will basically just give us more options to, you know, as to what we can cover on the show too without spending you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, too. It's kind of ironic that we kind of want to jump back a little bit from Shonen Jump on the show next year, but with these changes, with this new service, it's kind of hard not to continue uh, focusing in on Shonen Jump series because now they are the most accessible and con- easy and convenient series to read above, like, any other manga of any kind. I mean, hope I was saying this on Twitter. I'm I'm hoping maybe we can get to the point where... If this business model is successful enough for them that, like, you know, maybe we can have some kind of model where, like, we have we have access to 
just Viz's catalog of manga in general because they have a lot of stuff outside of Shonen Jump too. I like want you said, that with- show. Like I said earlier, I want that Shoujo Beat service, a similar kind to this. And even outside of Shoujo Beat, like they have so many like seinen titles and stuff too. That yeah, like the Viz I signature would lo- line, the Sublime line. Uh, the Iki line and just all kinds of stuff um, that I would love to have access to without spending boatloads of money. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm really hoping this works out for Viz because like and, you know, like we, we've brought up a few concerns here and there, such as, you know, uh, the accessibility and whatnot. But, you know, in the long run, like this is only going to be a good thing. Mm hmm. Like there's there's actually very I like in my personal opinion there's very little to criticize about this new business model. Yeah, I mean it is, I mean it's insane. I don't know how they turn a profit on it necessarily. Like that's what Caleb made a tweet about this earlier on Twitter. It's like how does this work? I don't know. But again, for the consumer, this is nothing but good. This is just access to an insane load of content for an affordable price. So. Uh, let's just con- support, continue to support it to, and make it successful for this so that they continue to grow it and expand it into other areas, even beyond Shonen Jump. So I guess um, I guess my only question is, like, because I think that's also a valid concern, too, is like, you know, how do they turn a profit on this thing? As as good for the consumer as it is, like, it's it's really hard for me to imagine, like, I mean, I guess, like... Again, it's like Netflix and other subscription-based services. Like, it's a, based on, like, how many paid memberships there are. So, again, if you want to support this kind of model for manga consumption, then definitely become a subscriber to it. Like, that is how they turn a profit. That's how Crunchyroll turns a profit. That's, you know, beyond just ad space. And, like, I'm sure uh, for the free section stuff, like, there's going to be, like banner ads or whatever like there's already like ads for the free section and stuff but you know but again it's all about the paid memberships so if you want to support the surface subscribe to it i would not be surprised if within the first year of this service that like i i can imagine that at some point they're like they'll they'll probably increase the price at least by a little bit but i mean personally if that were to happen i i wouldn't be totally upset about it yeah I mean, I'm just hoping this doesn't uh, backfire in the way of MoviePass and that they've set the price too low mm-hmm. that uh, it causes problems for them down the line. I remember when Viz first opened up their digital uh, platform uh, in general and how, like, you know, uh, digital volumes of their content only cost about four ninety nine, but eventually they had to up the price by $2, which, you know, I... Uh, like I don't think is a huge deal personally because I mean I could still afford. That's still it way and... cheaper than print. Yeah, like it's it's still it's it's just a little over half the price of like what their print volumes cost. Um, well, actually not. Okay, a print half, volume but... costs ten dollars, and then a digital volume costs uh seven or eight, depending on the series. Yeah, so I, it's it's still slightly cheaper, but I've. You know, I've I've also seen complaints that like, you know, their digital stuff is too expensive. But I mean, I think six ninety nine for a digital volume of their manga, I think, is the right price. Like, it's not it's not too expensive, but it's not too cheap either. Like, you know, their their print volumes used to cost like seven ninety five, seven ninety nine, depending on the series. So I mean, it's not really that much different from uh, from how it was like, you know, 
uh, I want to say like 10 years ago or so. But I mean, anyway, so uh, I, I guess our point is this is this is amazing and we hope it turns out well. Yes, nothing but good vibes to Wiz's way for this. Like, again, they are working incredibly hard, you know. I was uh, in contact with some people, you know, that tell me they're working weekends to make this happen. They're extremely busy. They're putting their all into it because they love what they're doing and they want to make this a reality because they believe that this is the future of manga. And again, this is nothing but good for fans. Please support the service and help it continue to grow, help this, help the industry. Again, as Sasaki-san said, you can, by subscribing to the service, you can not only support mangaka, but you respect mangaka. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully as we have more time to spend with the service, we'll, we'll definitely be talking about, uh, you know, how we feel after actually getting to use it, so. Yes, and hopefully we can also talk about it more in depth later with some representatives from Viz at a later podcast as well. Um, but I guess as long as we're talking about uh, Shonen Jump, uh, we should probably start talking about uh, the newest Jumpstart that uh, started up recently. Yeah, we can start with the new Jumpstart, Chainsaw Man. So this is by Tatsuki Fujimoto, the author of Fire Punch, which is a series that Viz is publishing. And the author is known for their weird, absurd uh, premises and also dark uh, macabre kind of worlds and and characters and uh, some really extreme, depressing situations of violence. So I've not read Fire Punch, but I have heard a lot about it and people have mixed opinions on his style. And it's kind of strange that they'd create a series for Weekly Shonen Jump, but it encapsulates those ideas of friendship, effort, victory just in a very dark way and in a very less optimistic way, I would say, the chapter turns out. Whereas where most Shonen Jump protagonists are like inspired by their depressing situations to overcome and rise up, this is very much fueled by tragedy all the way up to the end with a very brief glimmer of hope in a situation that is not necessarily all that different than the one he started out as. But it also balances the darkness with some cute elements like the chainsaw dog Pochita, which it doesn't look like a dog much at all. But <laughs> he kind of looks like the dog from um, from Paranoia Agent if you put a chainsaw through it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love the design of this thing. He has like these handle ears. He has a chainsaw for a nose. He, his tail is like the string you would pull to start up the chainsaw. It's it's such a funny design. I love it so much. I would buy a plush of it. Ah, I would buy a plush of it. It's like a great mascot. It's like insane that uh, he kills it off in the span of the chapter. Like that's pretty bold. But yeah, so basically the premise is the main character, Denji, his dad committed suicide and left him with a bunch of debt. And so basically he has become a slave to his his dad's uh, creditors who and to survive, he makes a living as a devil hunter with his pet devil, Pochita. And so they go around killing devils and earning money, but, you know, very meager allowances. He can barely live off of 
to the point where he only eats like a single slice of bread a day. He lives in a worn out shack with like really nothing inside of it. And it is really miserable because, uh, you know, he's stuck in the situation that is very unhappy, but just has to deal with it. Uh, because if he doesn't, like, he's gonna, the his creditors are gonna kill him for his organs or sell him as a sixth slave or something. So, see, see now, see now, Denji is the kind of person who cannot afford to read uh, Shonen Jump. Yeah, if your, if your situation is better than Denji's, uh, Really, you should not have to complain about subscribing to Shonen Jump. <laughs> but, but seriously, so this guy, you know, encounters Pochita on the day, you know, of his dad's funeral. And he, you know, thinks that Pochita is going to kill him. But, like, as he sees that Pochita is injured and dying, you know, that reminds him of, like, his father's dead. And you can interpret, oh, his, like, frustration that he watched his father, he discovered his father's dead, he couldn't save his father. So he saves Pochita by, like, offering him some of his blood. And that this becomes a contract between him and Pochita so that, you know, they will save each other because so that neither will die. And uh, so that's how their partnership starts. But uh, later in the night, you know, things aren't going so great because Denji coughs up blood and it's revealed his mom had a heart condition. And these are like symptoms that kind of started out the same way. So, you know, well, (laughs) it's not enough that he's in debt. Uh, He's also slowly dying. But it goes from bad to worse because his characters uh, take him to some bad warehouse where he's like horrifically murdered and cut up by a devil who has enslaved his creditors as zombies because they were greedy and tried to get power from him but then they he just the devil just manipulated them in turn and turned them into zombies so uh they horribly butcher denji and bojita uh trap them in a box and uh you know uh they don't shy away from the graphic violence here like he's cut up into parts and just thrown around in this box, like his head severed, all his body parts are severed. Like literally, what uh, the creditor promised he'd do to him earlier in the chapter, like happens. But you know, his blood slips into Pochita's mouth. It uh, it causes a reaction where Pochita fuses with Denji's body and heals it, and so now Denji becomes half devil, and so he fights the zombies. He kills the devil. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, Devil Hunter comes, discovers him, and offers to if offers if he he becomes her pet, you know he'll she'll keep him alive. Otherwise, you know she'll kill him. So it's a better situation because at least he'll get better breakfast uh, under her. But like. In this kind of the same situation, and that his life is in someone else's hands, and he's at their mercy. But that's the brief glimmer of hope, is that, like, his life has improved just a little bit. He's lost his best friend in the world, but, like, now he'll at least get better breakfast. Like, one dream has come true. I mean, guess two dreams. Like, he, he got to hug a girl, which was his other thing. But, yeah, it's, like, a very... It's a very dark sense of optimism like finding the bright spot in like a miserable situation which is very different from like how you know i think about other shonen jump first chapters in which the protagonist might be in a miserable situation but by the end of the chapter it is like unambiguously hopeful but with the end of this chapter chainsaw man like it is still ambiguously and precariously 
uh, uncertain, like what Denji, what's in Denji's future. But like, there is a brief glimmer of hope, but it's not like, oh, now this is the beginning of better times, or this is the start of getting confidence in myself and believing that my life will be better. Like, you know, Naruto, right? Naruto was an outcast. He was miserable. But then at the end of the first chapter, Naruto, you know, he, he gets to graduate from the Ninja Academy. He learns that Aruka really does love him. And he, he's had someone who supported him all along. You know, that, that ends on an unambiguously hopeful note. This is like still, oh, I don't know. Like he's surrounded by a bunch of dead bodies. And he's basically offered the same kind of deal. The only difference is that he's going to get a better reference. So who knows if his life will truly be better from now on. Yeah, it's really one of those things where, like, he's just that much desperate for a better life that he just kind of takes what he can get almost. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just like uh, Lum, I, I have not read Fire Punch yet. Um, it's something I do want to get to hopefully sometime soon. But uh, yeah, so this was my this is my first time reading any of uh, uh, Fujimaki's work, but um, or Fujimoto, I'm sorry. Um, but I mean, if anything, this just makes me want to read more of his stuff. I mean, I don't know how I feel about Fire Punch since I know that that has a lot of mixed reception. But uh, but no, yeah, I. Um, I don't know for for a jump series. I thought this was really interesting. Really, it was really dark, but again, still, it it still had enough hope that like it wasn't just depressingly bleak and like you know. Yeah, it wasn't unrelentingly. De- it wasn't unrelentingly nihilistic. In fact, it's not nihilistic at all. Like it's about clinging to hope and continuing to str- live against all odds and struggles. Right. Like, it was still fun to read. Uh, that, too. But also, like, the core message is, like, not, oh, life is nothing but pain and suffering, and you should just give up because it'll never get better. Like, through it all, Denji doesn't give up on the ho- on his dreams of a better life. And even though Pochita sacrifices itself for Denji, you know, it's all, that's also in that... Uh, sense of you know I want to see you achieve your dreams I want to see you uh, live a happier life you know so it's all about uh, continuing to struggle to fight for a better life for yourself you know not give in to the darkness of the world but to fight against it you know that's the optimism in the manga so it's not uh, it's not trying to present that the world is completely bad and there's no hope like it's trying to present a sense that yes there is hope and so that's why it still ties into these ideals that shonen jump has of friendship effort of victory you know core friendship of pojita denji in this chapter the effort is to struggle to survive victory is at the end where because of his struggles because he continued to fight and didn't just give into that like he now has a better life than he had before, you know, still not a great life, not a free life, but a, it's better now. And he has to, ch- because he's alive, he has a chance to continue to make it better. So I appreciate the philosophy. And I think it's important to have this kind of philosophy in a Shonen Jump series, a series aimed towards children to not teach them, you know, oh, the world is nothing but pain. There's nothing but awfulness in the world. Because there's a lot of awful stuff in the world. Like the world, there's a lot of awful people. There's a lot of miserable situations. But you can't give up on life. You can't give in 
to the darkness. You got to continue to fight to make things better, to make your own life better. But yeah, I, I, I like Chainsaw Man. The more I think about it and like the philosophy and message it uh, gets across, like uh, compared to other series that people would consider, oh, this is so unlike Jump, like uh, Promise Neverland and uh, Dr. Stone. I think this is the most unlike Jump in terms of like just the bleakness of the situation in the sense that it isn't it isn't so abstracted from reality than his situation. Like, yeah, like he's a devil hunter, but this idea that he's basically enslaved by his creditors to do deadly tasks, and then there's always this threat of death looming around him. Like, unfortunately, like there's child trafficking today, and children are in situations like this because of you know they are because of whatever happened uh, maybe to their parents uh, or like they ha owe some money to other people like they are put in situations where that they're at someone else's mercy like this so that like the fact that this can be like interpreted so directly to a real life situation makes it all the more powerful and more uncomfortable in the sense that it feels something it feels like a topic that you would expect only a more mature. You would expect more mature readers to more easily like uh, understand and grapple with than younger readers who like need that abstraction of fantasy to kind of like soften how dark these themes are. Like with the Promise Neverland, you know, you have these kids in this orphanage uh, and they're being eaten by devils. You know, so you that's extracted from this idea of how you know children are being preyed upon by all these malicious forces, right? Like, that's, like, not a one-to-one -one direct thing. But, like, here, like, Denji's situation removed from, like, what his job as a devil hunter is, like, that can is, like, a very direct thing. Yeah, so this, to me, felt like, you know, you would ex I expected more out of a seinen manga just because of how the sub subject matter is presented. But because the core teams are so optimistic and so very clearly sta stated to be optimistic because of the emphasis on dreams and uh the core friendship between Pochita and Denji I can yeah this is still very much a Shonen Jump series but just because it, it's the least abstracted in terms of how it's can expressing those ideas and uh those situations it presents you know that that felt to me like you know, pretty bold uh, and unexpected for what I'd expect out of a Jump series. Yeah, like, it is really surprising that something this adult runs in Jump. Um, I mean, I guess Jump has had, like, slightly a more adult things before, but, like, like you said, it's, it's, just, it's just optimistic enough that I think it still fits in Jump's, like, lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's not like Jump hasn't published stories that deal with very mature topics and do so direct by directly talking about those topics and presenting those topics but it's just that put this in contrast to the rested jumps lined up now like there's a big uh it feels like there's a big uh, disparity between this and like food wars for instance or one piece even like literally the next chapter after this like like but before Chainsaw Man, I like I think you can make the argument that like 
probably the darkest thing running in Jump was probably the Promise Neverland. Yeah, I mean, another thing that sets it apart is that there's very little, like, over-the-top, like, explicit humor in this yeah. manga. Like, it is very a very serious story. Like, there are small moments that are humorous, like, uh, that, but, like... In general, there's not a whole lot of comedy to soften the darkness. Even Promise Neverland's first chapter had a lot of humor in it up until, like, its big reveals. That's true, yeah. But, um, it's it, it's so weird, like, I'm, I'm not as attached to this as I have been a few other jump starts throughout the year, but, like, if... I mean, I don't know, it's, it's so hard, it's so weird to talk about this now that we know that, like... Viz's Shonen Jump magazine isn't really going to exist anymore, but as we've talked about, like, you know, there's, like, I, I guess we'll just have to see, like, you know, whether they'll keep their Jumpstart initiative or, like, I guess basically just have it in some other form. Like, if they'll, like, I'm sure they'll still do previews of a new series, but, like, I don't know. I guess it's just, uh, it, it's just kind of weird to me that, like, this and uh, Neolation, the next one we'll talk about here hopefully sometime within the month though will probably be technically be like to like the i guess the final two jump starts quote unquote i think they'll still continue this initiative of uh i mean i don't know maybe it'll keep the jump start name uh still the branding for these kind of series uh, where they preview the first two chapters of them we don't really know yet. Uh, that's a question we should explore later, uh, maybe, or we'll maybe get explained later. But yeah, I think that we'll still see Viz continue to test out series uh, with these three chapter previews, and hopefully, also continue to uh, give to publish more one shots and the like. Uh, so I am not worried about that. I mean, the fact that you know because of this the end of the magazine like uh there's going to be chapters of both chainsaw man and neolation that will be published you know uh outside the magazine still like that still gives me like an indication that this initiative will continue even past the end of the magazine i guess i guess with uh with the magazine you know basically out of commission now like i wonder i wonder what it'll take for viz to pick up new series i guess is the thing i think again i don't know if the survey will be kept around so that's one other question like that i have will. well i feel like the survey is a fun thing and it's also a useful thing in terms of data collection for viz so i think that they could keep that around and it'll be interesting to see uh, i mean that's something we'll also we also need to see what they do with but regardless i think that it's going to continue to depend upon feedback and traffic like now that uh series will be published individually they can monitor the traffic an individually individual series is getting so like how many people read the first chapter of any given new jumpstart, they will be able to look at those numbers and see how much demand there is in contrast to all the other series they're publishing. And that will help to inform them of a decision uh, of whether they want to continue publishing it or if they uh, want to pass on it for the time being and see if demand for it picks up later down the line, like series like uh, Demon Slayer. 
Mm. Well, whatever the decision making process is from here, like I, I really hope we get more Chainsaw Man because I, I would like to read the rest of this. Mm-hmm. But this is not the only new manga that came out in Shonen Jump recently, because the English Shonen Jump has once again published a new Ruby manga. This time by Bunta Kinami called Ruby the Official Manga. And Colton, I want to hear you explain the premise of this chapter and uh, your thoughts on the chapter as someone who is a newbie to Ruby. Man, I feel like I'm being given a pop quiz in class. Okay, so <laughs> um, there's a girl named Ruby. Uh, she is attending this school. To learn how to be a, a huntress. What's the name I of the school? <sighs> I forget the name. I forget the name of the school. That's okay. Continue. Um, yeah, she's basically going to a school to learn how to be a huntress. And there was a whole bunch of other stuff that, like, basically explained the world. I think they 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 explained like what what dust is. It's basically like how they. Um, how they get their powers or something. Um, I, I read this like two weeks ago, so uh, that's oh, why my memory is kind of fuzzy. Yourself. <laughs> yeah, um, I wasn't expecting this. Um, like th- th- that—that's kind of what the first chapter of Ruby was. Like, it's basically just to me. It was a lot of setup. Um, it was a lot of setup for like m- mostly the lore of the series. And I have to be honest, that kind of stuff, I have a hard time like getting myself interested in mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know what it is but yeah that, that that's basically what i got out of the first chapter all right and what are your opinions of the characters um i don't know if i have much of an opinion of the characters because they don't like i like i can't really say that they're like good or bad characters because like we've only like i've only just been introduced to them like you know ruby seems like you know uh, I don't want to say your typical main character because I I don't want to be too super dismissive, but like you know uh, she 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 seems to be like you know like she's the main character like she's gonna be the best there ever was or whatnot, hmm. <laughs> and she has a she has a fun teasing older sister who is kind of cute and you know who you, you who you kind of wish uh, was your big sister because she's just that cool. Um, and then you have the Sundere, whose name I for Weishni, right? Yeah. Um, that's a character that uh, my friends constantly talk about because I have a lot of friends uh, in my friend group who love the shit out of Ruby, and every time they talk about it, like it just kind of it, it seems like gibberish to me. Um, mm. <laughs> um, see, see, the thing is, like, as as somebody who like doesn't really know anything about Ruby, and I have to be quite honest, I don't know if I'm really that interested in getting into like the show. I I would at least read more of the manga version, you know, if this turns out to be. I don't want to say like, I, I I don't necessarily want it to be like one for one like the show, but I want it to be I want it to be a good enough telling of the original show to where like. You know, whatever people get out of the show, I want to be able to get out of from reading the manga version, if that makes sense. Like, I kind of want to have the same experience, but not, like, the completely same experience. Like, the same enough experience to, like, to, like, kind of understand 
why people like the franchise, I guess. Okay. Um, so I'm I'm open to reading more of it. Like to to be quite honest, like the the like the sto- like the fairy storybook kind of aesthetic that uh that they kind of go with with the art like really r- really kind of like keeps my attention. Yeah, I really like that aspect of it too. It's just cuz cuz I know like that's kind of the gimmick of the show is that like it's like the characters in the setting and whatnot are based off of like you know western folklore and fairy tales and whatnot which I find kind of interesting. Um, you know, dating back to like the very first trailer for Ruby, which I thought was really, really, really cool, and I don't know. Um, I like it's it's really hard for me to like like I don't have like complete opinions on it because I feel like again the first chapter is a lot of setup. Like I don't feel like I've had enough time with the characters per se yet, or the or the world to really have like a full opinion on the story yet. But the manga version is interesting enough to where I would consider reading more of it. Okay, so it has at least made you more intrigued about Ruby. How would you compare it to uh, your impressions of the previous Ruby manga published in Shadow Jump? Um, I've... Man, I think I only read, like, one chapter of that. And, like, honestly, I I remember when when we first covered that uh, manga on the show that, like... You know, you didn't have a lot of very positive things to say about the series, unfortunately. And it honestly made me not want to check out the rest of it. Yeah. (laughs) So I I guess compared to the first chapter of that series, like, you know, again, like the first chapter of this new series doesn't really give me a whole lot to work off of, uh, uh, like, as far as like what my opinion of the franchise is. But like, it's like, I guess it feels more cohesive than the previous manga series because obviously this new series is is based off the show yeah and so it gives me a better sense of what the series is whereas the last series like you know if you presented that to a new fan i don't think they'd really have a good idea of what ruby actually is yeah this manga starts at the beginning and explains everything about the world of the show and the previous one was not as accessible to newcomers at all yeah which honestly was probably the big reason why i kind of ultimately decided against not reading it because i just wasn't really that interested Mm -hmm. so my impressions of this manga as a fan of ruby i was not terribly impressed by it I in, like the storybook aesthetic a lot. I think that gives the manga a lot of charm and is very well in tune with the themes of the show while still having a different aesthetic from it that sets it apart really nicely. But this chapter is also just an abridged version of the first three episodes. And while that means that it you know, communicates all the necessary information you need to know about the characters and the exposition of the world, you know. So it it provides all the setup, like you said, Colton, but it doesn't provide too much glimpse of character beyond Ruby and a little bit of Yang, removing some of the, a lot of the comedic beats and uh, a lot of just, like, downtime moments between characters beyond, like, the most important stuff which is mostly what's kept in this chapter i think that does remove a lot of characterization and character building 
that uh, I f- feel, you know, makes reading the manga version less entertaining. Now, the art and aesthetic is more consistent within this first chapter than it is in the first few episodes of Ruby. Because, the you know, early Ruby, the first season, has some floaty animation and it skimps a lot on background characters. Like, background characters are literally just sh- shadows. Like, <laughs> silhouettes of what, a, of what people would look like. And the only characters that would, you know, be fully rendered and, like, a- actually animated would be the, you know, main characters in the scene. So, in lieu of those kind of shortcuts from the show, uh, the manga has their own weird has its own weird shortcuts in that, like, the backgrounds are very sparsely defined, and that creates some confusion when I'm reading it and trying to follow action scenes or like scenes where like something is happening but they don't show it on panel but off screen like the moment where ruby bumps into like weiss's luggage cart we are not shown ruby bumping into that luggage cart it's like we see a picture of the sky uh and then we hear like a bunch of sound effects and crashes and dialogue and then we see a panel of like oh uh, like wife's suitcases are on the floor and stuff, and I guess Ruby's sitting on the floor. But like, we don't. It's it's really hard to figure out what's going on in that scene. I knew what's going on because like I I've watched the series, but like you know, it's it's kind of difficult to figure out just at first glance what just happened. And so there's some confusion there in terms of like beats in the show, like where characters are in the space of a scene. Uh, what's happening during action beats. So the fact that the backgrounds are not very well defined creates this sense of like the characters are kind of like floating in space or just placed in whatever position just without a real sense of like where they are in relationship to each other. And like where characters are going when they leave panels, like what is happening or like how a location even looks is really hard to figure out. Because it's so sparsely defined. And then there's like this moment where like... uh, There's a scene where like Ozpin, the dean of the school... He's giving like this school assembly stuff. And it's it's really hard to figure out like the floor. Like what's going on there. Like is it... Because you could see like... Is this like a lake? Because it's really hard to figure out like what... uh, That... You know he's he's in this auditorium. But like the floor doesn't really look like a floor. Because it's like not very it's like it's mostly white space but then we have like these shadows here from like the walls and it kind of looks more like water and then we have like what's supposed to be a crowd of people here but like they're not very well defined they look like this could be just shading for like a rock cliff and stuff like you I, obviously it's supposed to be an auditorium because like the location isn't like really clearly defined and because like the characters are not very clear defined it's like easy to get lost in in the art and kind of be confused like what you're actually looking at and also i think there's some confusion just with the character designs in general like yang and weiss with her hair down look really similar and i was confused when i was reading like oh did yang get on the bed like or is this weiss now so i was getting confused between them towards the end of the chapter and that to me could be a problem going forward if like 
I don't know. So it's so I'm having some problems with the art and then the story, of course. I know the story of Ruby and it's going to take a bit before I get to the parts of Ruby where it, like it really really picks up uh going through the first season uh story and whatever. So uh we'll see. I mean, just the fact that, you know, I've watched the show and, like, know the story. Like, unless the manga do, does something different with the story or does something really impressive with the art that makes it feel like, oh, this is a really unique experience. As a fan, I don't know if there's, like, too much in it for me uh, reading this series other than the fact that I like Ruby and so I like the story, and so I would read it just for that reason. But like, I'm not getting any. I'm not getting more out of it than I would if I were just to watch the show. Even with the jankiness of the first season, I think I would prefer watching the show to reading the manga because I feel like I still am getting more with the show than I am with the manga. Yeah, and like I said, as somebody who has seen none of the show. This first chapter is basically just a primer for for someone like me who doesn't really know much about Ruby. But, you know, if you want a quick like, oh, hey, here's what the world's all about. Here are your characters. I guess let's go from here, essentially. So I'm I'm mostly interested in reading it uh, just to see if, like, I get anything out of it as, I guess, a newbie to Ruby, for lack of a better <laughs> word. Um so yeah, I I might I might actually keep up with this because I'm 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 curious. That's good. I don't know how I'd uh, rate it in comparison to Shiro Miwa's because Shiro Miwa's manga I like the art a lot more, but like the story content was very hit or miss. There were some chapters that I found really interesting, but then the other chapters I just did not think were. Like he, when he was just recreating like the story from like the character trailers, I was like, "What is the point of this? You're not adding anything to this. In fact, you're subtracting because the sh- those trailers were at least showcased the series' really cool animation and stuff." So I don't know how I'd really compare this with Miwa's yet. I feel like I'm gonna end up liking this more. But uh, I guess we'll see, like, how it handles the rest of the story going forward. I would definitely say that the best Ruby manga is the Anthology series. But those that, those are not accessible to newcomers. It's mostly for fans, like, to appreciate, oh, here are these in-between stories uh, that you didn't get to see in the show. Like, uh, Team Ruby hanging out with uh, the, that one team they fought in the, the tournament. And uh, the, you know, the, the go- those guys who, uh, geez, what were the names? Like, the team that had Neon in it, uh, th- those characters. Like, th- that's fun, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, I, w- I would say that the best Ruby manga is the anthology. But again, you, you really need to be a fan of Ruby to really appreciate that, those. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it for uh, our Shonen Jump stuff. Um. And uh, I guess we can kind of use that to get into the rest of our serialization news. Oh, yeah. We're just getting started. I know. <laughs> uh, let's just let's just get started. So uh, on the previous episode, uh, we talked about uh, some Yen Press licenses. And one of those was Last Round Arthurs, a, uh, a new light novel series 
that they have licensed. Uh, still no release date on those novels just yet. Uh, but it looks like in the January issue of Katakawa's monthly Young Ace magazine, it was revealed that that author Yuzuriha is penning a new manga adaptation of Last Round Arthurs uh, with uh, Taisuke Umeki in charge of storyboard composition. And uh, the manga adaptation of this light novel series will be launching in the magazine's February issue, which will be shipping on January 4th. So... You know, essentially, if you listen to the last episode, uh, you'll remember that uh, Bomber and I had a bit of trouble trying to trying to see whether uh, whether the series, you know, considering it's about it involves like King Arthur and Excalibur. If this took if this took place like in medieval times or if this took place uh, in modern times, uh, we still don't really know yet. The, the The premise is still sort of vague as far as that goes, but. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the to that episode, but uh, I I think we were talking about how like we were really hoping that like the series would be about a girl who like is is sort of a chuny or whatever in in the sense of like she's she's like pretending she's King Arthur and that she's accidentally sold Excalibur a la like like an episode of Sket Dance or something. <laughs> we were hoping it was like like maybe a comedy series or something like that. I don't know, like like I'm I'm sure that's probably not what they're going for, but like. I don't know, just 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 the I guess the small possibility of maybe the the series being something like that, you know, made me think that maybe I I might actually check this out. Yeah, I think uh, you know I like the character design of the girl who is trying to be Arthur. I like the title. I think it's funny. Like it's kind of a shame that Yen Press changed the title from uh, Scum Arthur and Bastard Maryland to Heretic Maryland, but you know, <laughs> I understand why they did that. But yeah, uh, well, I guess we'll have to see uh, how this manga turns out, and then I'm sure an anime adaptation will be inevitable too. So this could be a lot of fun. I like King Arthur Legends. I like Aturian Legends a lot. So I'm predisposed to be interested in this. So hopefully it's uh, very interesting. Mm, and and I'm sure that Yen Press will probably eventually pick up the uh, the the license for for this manga adaptation at some point too. So there's that. But uh, we have some spinoffs coming. Uh, if you want to cover those for us. Oh yeah, there are a lot of spinoffs coming. The first one is a spinoff of a classic Magical Girl series called Magical Angel Creamy Mommy. And this spinoff is going to feature and be about her rival uh, in the idol world, Megumi. And it's going to be called Magical Creamy Mommy's Sullen Princess. It's going to launch on comics manga website Comic Tatten on December 21st and be drawn by Amy Mitsuki, previously known for drawing Kumo Ichizoko Todoro Girl. And new chapters are going to debut every first and third Friday of every month. Uh, the character designs are really cute. Nice modern updates of the creamy mommy uh, designs. Like they look still very much like the characters, but like more how they draw in modern day and not like uh, 80s style. Uh, so like rounder faces is like kind of more uh, lively little eyes there. Like uh, less more how 
older anime would kind of still look more like uh, Western cartoons in some sense, in terms of like there's some flatness in terms of like the aesthetic. This definitely feels like a more rounder, lively aesthetic they're going with these character designs. But yeah, so this is basically a manga about Megumi, who is, you know, uh, one of the big top stars at the Pantheon Productions talent agency. And so she's very jealous of Mommy because Mommy in the show, as soon as Mommy, like, uh, gets noticed by them and, like, uh, gets sired by them, like, she completely upstages her. And she uh, it gets really upset about that because it also draws the attention of the uh, producer she has a crush on away from her to mommy and so so basically like in creamy mommy she tries to kind of expose mommy and like kind of engineer situations so that mommy if she has a performance she won't get the sing uh and it's trying to sabotage her but also try, is very suspicious about mommy's true identity uh, and also tries to expose her. So, like, we are very early on in the show. Like, she almost figures it out and uh, tries to, like, uh, expose mommy. Like, it's like within the, like, episode six, maybe? I don't know. Like, very early episode. But, you know, I have not finished uh, the entire original series of Creamy Mommy. But, like, you know, it's kind of like how from the beginning of Detective Conan, Ron was very suspicious that Conan was Shinichi. Like, it's the same kind of thing. Like, uh, Megumi's very suspicious that Mommy, uh, that Mommy's true identity is you. And so, I'm sure, like, there's very (laughs) repeated situations with her, uh, trying to expose her but like the story of this manga is about megumi trying to be a good senior to work at mommy so you know it's probably going to take place at the end of the show after megumi has you know kind of cooled down uh in terms of like how she views mommy and no longer views her like as a as a threat to her but like you know uh, just a fellow idol co-worker you know a f- more of a friendly figure so it's kind of int- that's kind of nice uh kind of see her get her due kind of being turned from like this you know antagonistic rival character to kind of like a more uh, to kind of treat her more as the protagonist of the story and like see things from her perspective a bit and i like I'm, I'm into that a lot so yeah i'm interested in this you know i like creamy mommy a lot i should finish the show at some point only because I've, I've only seen about a, a fourth of it like the first 13 or so episodes it's 52 episodes long but yeah so i am interested in this manga and uh hopefully you know it does well and i don't know if this would ever get uh translated or licensed or anything but i if it ever did get licensed i'd be interested in reading it for sure but that's not the only series to get a new spinoff or new content because Nisekoi is getting a new spinoff chapter to commemorate the live-action film coming out uh, in Japan on December 21st. And so this new chapter is going to debut on the issue of Shonen Jump com- coming out on December 17th, which will probably be labeled like the issue number 3 slash 4 of 2019. So yeah, and uh, it's going to be 23 pages long. It's going to have a center color page in the magazine. We don't really know what it'll be about. It actually says, uh, right, I, I... Oh, it's going to be about Raku getting tickets for... Sir- oh, it's like, it's kind of like direct tie-in for the movie, I guess then. Because he's <laughs> like, oh, he wants to get tickets for a certain movie. I wonder what that certain movie is. 
It's it's definitely not going to be a knockoff Nisekoi film at all. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, hopefully Viz uh, might pick this up and translate this. I mean, this coincides with the debut of the free section. So who knows if we'd get this? I mean, maybe we could get this over the ho- for like a holiday release or later down the line. I would like to read it. I like Nisekoi. This sounds like a cute premise. That's not it all for spinoffs because sound euphonium is also getting two new novels uh focusing on kumiko's third and final year of high school so the first sound of euphonium novel came out in 2013 and then the first season of the anime adapted that story and then the second novel came out in 2015 and uh there was even more novels after that they all came out in 2015, basically. And then there was a two-part spin-off novel about Rika that came out in... A, about the uh, Marching Man, rather. That came out in August and uh, September 2016 that focused on the character Azusa Sasaki. And so these are just uh, two new novels that are going to be focused on Kumiko, main character of uh, Sound Euphonium. And it's going to finally show like her uh, final year of uh, high school. So yeah, it's cool. There's a lot new, more uh, sound euphonium stories uh, coming out. Uh, I need to get on um, trying to read and watch as much of it because I I saw Liz and the Bluebird and really love that. So I I'm looking forward to the next sound euphonium film that are that's gonna come out next year and uh, just hope they make more of it because it's a good show. Um. But uh, moving on to our last uh, spinoff, The Promised Neverland, which I guess uh, it's probably worth mentioning here that if you don't want spoilers on The Promised Neverland, at least for the first arc, uh, you might want to skip this section of the news. Uh, But otherwise, Shueisha's uh, Jump J Books label uh, recently announced that uh, they'll be giving The Promised Neverland another new novel penned by uh, Nanao, who I'm pretty sure pen the uh, the last uh promised neverland novel we talked about on the show uh this novel will be shipped on january 4th and will be called the promised neverland mom's song of remembrance but, but basically this novel will be focusing on isabella the the mom of uh, of grace field as well as uh, sister crone uh specifically it'll be taking place after the kids have escaped from grace field where Isabella stays behind and finds a piece of paper in uh, within the burning wreckage of the house. And uh, the paper reminds her of a boy who became the reason for her to aim to be a mom. And uh, meanwhile, in her last moments, uh, Crone remembers her path in training to be a sister. So this meanwhile thing is confusing because Sister Crone died way before the uh, escape from Graystill House. So, like... They probably are going to intersplice the two stories, but they can't happen at the same time because Crone died before this. But anyway, uh, I feel like this is just an expanded version of the backstory for Isabella and Crone that we had already seen in the manga. And they'll probably just like expand on what was presented there and then just write in more details. See, um, see, that's interesting. I've it's been a while since I've reread Promised Neverland, but I didn't. I don't remember getting like that much focus on 
on Isabella's past. There is like the whole chapter after uh, they escape from Gracefield. Like it started out showing Isabella's past. Like it showed like, oh, she had a friendship with this like boy uh, when she was a kid. They discovered like the farms. Like he got, uh, they discovered like the truth about the farms. Like he got killed or something and then like you Hmm. know she was given the choice like she gave emma and she chose to become a mom and just continue living uh you know and then you know we saw like her whole sequence of events of like what she did and then like ending on the realization oh ray is her kid because like ray's singing like the song that she, uh, she was taught by uh, her friend that she sang while she was like, ner- like you know, impregnated, and then she was. Oh like, yeah, that's right. And then like you know, she's like horrified, like when Ray like uh, reveals that he knows the song, and then it applies. Oh, Ray is actually her son, and all that stuff, and so it gives a whole new context for like why uh, Isabella favorited to Ray uh, and g- gave him so many uh, extra things and stuff and privileged information and all that. But yeah, so we saw that and also we saw Crone's backstory like in her dying moments already, like the montage of events of like what she knew, stuff she discovered and all that. So I get, I think that this novel is just going to take what we saw already in the manga and then just write around more details and like write the stuff in between the moments we already saw in the manga. Well, see, this is another sign that I just need to reread The Promised Neverland because my memory on some of that stuff in particular is kind of fuzzy, clearly. So I'm I'm just going to ask you, uh, do, do you think there's room to expand upon this kind of stuff? Or do you think that this novel is unnecessary, I guess? I doubt we'll learn anything new. I think this is like going to just add more details and like sh- and like show the events in like uh in, ex- in expanded detail like again we saw like the the important takeaways in the promised neverland like in the manga like we saw like like all we really needed to know to get an understanding of like what Isabella's past and history was and we didn't really need more of that but like this is just going to like fill in all the blanks of like how she got from point A to point B like just Fill in all the steps instead of like just showing the results of the things. Hmm. Okay. Um. I don't know. I, I'd still say that. Um. I. I, I still hope that. Because uh, I mean, the Promised Neverland is obviously pretty popular at this point, and I'm assuming does pretty well for Viz. Probably not as well as like My Hero Academia. I'm sure, but like. You know, I'm sure it's I'm sure it still does well enough for Viz that maybe hopefully we can see these novels released in English at some point, because I actually would like to read them. I mean, there's so many spinoff novels of so many series that are running in Jump that Viz is not licensed yet. Like there are Boruto novels they haven't licensed yet. There are One Piece novels they haven't licensed yet. Bleach so, novels. Like, Bleach novels. So who knows? It's really going to be dependent, I guess, on like uh, interest watch that be the next next big thing that they open up is like their own department for novels maybe i mean i'm sure there's like a huge market for light novels still and it's continuing to grow so light novels on licensed series uh yeah i mean maybe if they they could expand to that point and like uh start focusing on that but i don't know like how well like uh 
those Naruto novels that they licensed and published did because we haven't really gotten any more light novel adaptations of anime manga series from them since then. So we'll have That's to see. That's true, yeah. Uh, I guess time time will tell. But uh, the next piece of news here is we're going to move on and talk about manga again. And we're not talking about spinoffs now. We're talking about new arts because Dragon Ball Super, the manga is starting a new arc. And no, it's not going to be covering the Broly film, as you'd expect. No, it's actually started a new arc called the Galactic Patrol Prisoner arc that was not in the anime. This is past the anime. This is past Broly. This is going to be about a new villain whose name I don't think we have revealed yet. But basically, this villain was uh, a prisoner of the Galactic Patrol... And uh, he has escaped. And so now the Galactic Patrol has kidnapped Boo because they need to resurrect the uh, Supreme Kai of the North that Boo absorbed way back in the day. If you remember, that the, Boo absorbing the Supreme Kai of the North is the reason why Boo became that fat jolly form that we all know him as is because like he absorbed after absorbing him he gained his personality and and characteristics so somehow the supreme kai of the north is connected to to this prisoner do you think this will lead the way for uh boo to finally become relevant in dragon ball super I don't know. Actually, no, I'm wrong. It's not Supreme Kai of the North. It's Dai Kaio. He is the highest of all Supreme Kais. My apologies. Like, it's, it's it's very obvious based on the face. Also, that, like, after absorbing him, Boo looks like him exactly. Like, his face. So, yeah. Sorry, I got that uh, confused. But Dai Kaio is, like, the Supreme Kai above all the other Supreme Kais. And uh, what happened in Dragon Ball, if you remember, is that Boo killed all the other Supreme Kais and he absorbed uh, South Supreme Kai, which is how he got his muscle form. And then he absorbed Dai Kaio, and that's how he became uh, Fat Boo. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting that uh, Dragon Ball Super is kind of doing its own thing now. Yeah, so this new arc started in the most recent chapter that was published uh, last month. Uh chapter 42 so like the last third of that chapter is devoted to start set, setting up this new arc and so we got to introduce to like uh some new characters like an elite galactic patrol agent and jocko returns and then we it ends on this tease that oh we need to revive the daikaio from boo so will this actually mean that boo will be relevant or like is he just going to be a plot device for him to, for them to resurrect this other character uh, who knows i'm hoping it will actually require boo to do stuff but we'll see he just falls asleep again <laughs> he is literally asleep right now and the one guy like that's how the kid that's why they how they kidnap him he's asleep so they just carry him <laughs> away <laughs> Oh, that's that's so. They literally just carry him. <laughs> Mr. Satan's like yelling at them, "Hey, don't take him!" And they're like, uh, "Mr. Satan, we're trying to explain the situation to you. Like, we need this guy." And it's like, "No, he's my room." Aw, that's so sweet. Um, yeah, I mean, that's. I I I constantly go back and forth between whether I want to 
get into the super manga or not because i hear so many like mixed things about it between like you know toyotaro's art and like the liberties he takes with certain story arcs and it's just i'll probably get to it at some point but it's like i'm it's it's probably one of those things i'm just gonna get to like when it ends man i mean i don't know when is it gonna end like (laughs) this has basically implied that I mean, we already knew that, like, there's going to be another Dragon Ball show, right? They're not going to end this. They're going to continue on making more Dragon Ball stories. And for all we know, though, this could just be an original arc to the manga. Like, we have no clue if this is what they'll actually do after the role, after the Broly movie, with, whenever they want to start up the next show. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, it seems like this is going to be, like, the next big arc for the series. Like during the we're going to talk about later but like in the promotional image for like the best goku fights polls that like shueisha is doing uh you know they they uh put up like three villains behind him like showing oh these are goku's toughest opponents uh, or like these are goku's most notable recent opponents like among them is jiren broly and this new villain this new prisoner guy who's going to be the villain of the new arc so you know, the, the, it seems like they're hyping this up as the next arc, you know? Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how Toyotaro, like, tackles, like, actual original content for the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I would hope that would give him more freedom. I mean, I don't think it's really going to change anything because, like... Toyotaro doesn't base his manga off whatever the show does. Like, both the show and Toyotaro go off Toriyama's outline and do their own thing and how they interpret it. So, like, they all draw from the same outline. It's just that they choose to focus on different things and, like, execute things differently. But, obviously, because it's the same base story, like, it's still the same story in the end. But, like, the Tournament of Power is, like, the most divergent because, you know, there it's it's clear that Toriyama left so many blanks in terms of, like, how the universes were supposed to be eliminated. Like, they just, he just allowed Botoe and Toriyama to make up most of it on their own. And only very small beats are, retain- are similar between both versions. But, like, the bulk of the tournament, it's obvious, is just the anime came up with that and the toyotaro came up with his own version like i i just i just imagine he just gave both toyotaro and to uh, and toei like a note that just reads go nuts do and whatever basically you want. <laughs> that's what he did i mean it's like oh when jiren's a character there we go i mean that he, he he uh very specifically made them change what they were originally going to have Jiren's character as, because originally Jiren was supposed to be more along the lines of Topo, but then he was like, no, 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 Jiren is a character that doesn't talk. And then they went one direction with that idea, and Toyotaro went a different direction with that idea. There's, like, a very limited hands-on notes, it seems, that Toriyama gave them, and, like, how things should be. So, like, characters are completely different between two versions of the tournament of power like mm-hmm. jiren is different between the manga and anime uh characters like ribrianne are completely different you know lots of differences it's very interesting uh it's kind of it makes it fun to compare both versions for sure i can imagine so yeah anyway uh speaking of new arcs uh attack on titan 
is going to be entering its final arc. Uh, Hajime Izayama uh, revealed this on a recent Jonetsu Taikiro documentary on Sunday. And uh, because, well, uh, a while ago at this point. But uh, yeah, so Izayama was on that program or like earlier this month. And uh, he's going to basically, I don't, it's just like an interview it seems or like just a uh, kind of a piece on him like the video is no longer available it used to be that like was a promo that you know tease that oh isayama is drawing the final arc and stuff but yeah yeah i wasn't i wasn't sure if this was like just an interview or if like or if they like documented him like throughout a certain like long period of time like it wasn't made very clear at least not to I me think anyway. it's a, i think it was probably a combination of documentary and interview or whatever but probably yeah yeah i mean this sort of falls in line with what his editor said like a couple of years ago in 2014 that oh the manga will end in three to four years even Izayama himself said that uh, he wanted to end the manga in three more years back in 2014 obviously it's been more than three years since uh, 2014 but you know it makes sense that the manga would be entering its end game considering where it is in the story i mean like, we're in the midst of this all-out war and all that stuff. You know, I could totally see the manga heading towards its conclusion. Will it be a good conclusion? I don't know. Uh, you know, I feel like after the point where they actually reached the beach and they saw the water, the whole thing that the that they wanted to do from the beginning of the story, like, see the ocean, and then it continued on from there, it's like, oh... I don't know. It seems like the story is going in a direction that's like, uh, I guess it's necessary because of, you know, where it's going. But like now the catharsis, where's the catharsis going to be? Like the emotional catharsis of like, oh, we're going to finally see, break free of these walls and see the ocean. You know, that's all gone. You did that. It's not, it wasn't even a happy moment. It was like, well, we're here, but now we can't rest happy until we crush and kill the enemy beyond the sea. You know? So it's like, uh, uh, but we'll see. I mean, Attack on Titan is at least heading towards its end game. It seems that they're going to continue making more Attack on Titan anime. Uh, so I'm sure the anime will get to the ending of the manga by the time that the manga is ready to end. Mm, it, it's interesting because, like, they made a big deal about how, like, you know, oh, Isayama even drew, like, the final panel of the series. So... But they also didn't make it clear as to whether, like, he's actually at that point in his drawing or, like, if he just kind of gave the show, like, a preview of, like, how he wants the series to end, maybe. But either way, I thought it was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, so in the uh, documentary, actually, we have some more information on this. In the Jon Etsu Taikero uh, piece on Hajime Isayama, which they aired on November 18th, uh, they showed Isayama drawing the rough layout for the final panel of the manga and uh, revealed his struggles dealing with writer's block and, you know, the pressure of creating manga. So, like, they actually showed him drawing the final, the rough layout for the final panel of the manga. So, like, uh, the manga might end in a little bit here, like a couple months or so. Who knows, like, if he's drawing the final panel. But... Yeah, I mean, Izayama was described in the program as bearing the burden of wanting to lift the fan expectations, but also to go against them. Uh, you know, he's waking up at 4 p.m. because of working all night to meet his deadlines. So it's like working all night and waking up late in the afternoon. Know that feeling. And uh, he's drawing the name, Rough Manga Drafts. Uh, 
and that's been difficult. You know, it seems like he's struggling kind of to to get to the end of the series, but that's because he's been working really hard. But also, like, he wants to end on a surprising and satisfying note, which you know I would imagine would be a struggle for you know a series at the scale of Attack on Titan and you know at the scope of its story. Yeah, the the article also mentions about how like. He just kind of lies on his sofa, like in a completely dazed state, trying to just escape the reality of things. Like basically, I'm assuming wanting to take a break from his work. Yeah. Apparently, the only time Izayama smiled in the entire documentary was when he took a rare break from work to play Splatoon. Which I I feel kind of sorry for Isayama because, like, obviously, Attack on Titan is it, it's probably not as huge as it was like a few years ago, but it's uh, still, it's still pretty, pretty huge. It's still pretty big, like people are still really into it and like i can't imagine what that pressure is like to want to come up with an ending to the story that like people will actually you know will will actually like and not completely criticize i mean he's been drawing it for 10 years and i'm i'm sure the direction of the series has been criticized in the same way the direction of any long-running series is criticized by fans yeah i don't know i mean like I, I can't help but feel sorry for him just because, you know, like, you know, again, manga is a very hard profession for most people, even people who really enjoy it. So, like, to, to, to hear about, like, basically what his mental state is like recently, like, kind of makes me worry about him. And I, I I really hope that, like, when Attack on Titan ends, he just takes a long, nice long break so he can play all the Splatoon he wants. It seems like that'll be the case, because when asked if he wanted to draw another manga after Attack on Titan, Izayama responded that yes, but he might not be able to draw it. It's more likely that he won't be able to, because he doesn't know if he'll have it in him to continue. So, yeah, I think, like, he is burned out after 10 years of hard work on this series, and he probably could use a break before he begins another project from 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 the opinions i've heard of about the attack on titan manga here and there like i'm i'm gonna make the very uneducated guess that it's it probably shows in his work but i mean i don't know that that's just just my guess i i honestly i'm nowhere near up to date on attack on titan so i could be totally wrong i've fallen behind too uh since the the time skip I've heard some things that make me have have made me held back or have held me back in wanting to continue it because it sounds like it's gone in directions that I'm not a big fan of. But, you know, I will, of course, catch up on it, uh, hopefully before the we record our year end list to just, you know, see what it's done this year and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah Attack on Titan is something that I kind of can't wait for it to end. So that way I can just kind of binge read it all and then we can maybe talk about it on the show or something that'd be kind of neat um because mm-hmm. i i honestly haven't like like i've i've read maybe like a bit of the manga maybe like the first five volumes or so and even like as like i think i caught up more on the anime and even then like i only saw like the first season of the anime and i thought it was mostly pretty enjoyable um but it wasn't enough for me to like come back to season two so Again, I, I much rather experience the story like as it finishes. So hopefully we'll get to that at some point in the next year or two. I mean, I prefer to... I think the anime is the best version to watch the story because it really trims down a lot of the fat, like especially like the political insurrection arc. So much shorter. 
than it was in the manga. So much better. They cut out some of the really stupid parts. So, yeah, I, I would recommend the ma- the anime over the manga, personally. But, you know, the manga has its charm as well, even if it... I mean, the story in Bud Versions has this problematic content that uh, I'm sure if we ever talk about it more on the show in depth that we'll get into. And speaking of a ser- of Attack on Titan, which is heading towards its ending, let's talk about some series that are ending. We know when they're ending. Including The Melancholy of Har- Suzumiya Haruichan, the four-coma gag manga spinoff of The Melancholy of Haru Suzumiya that's been running since 2007 is finally going to be ending in the February 2019 issue of Monthly Shonen Ace, which comes out on December 26th. I like Haruichan a lot. It's a very cute manga. It's a very funny manga. I might like it more than I like Harui Suzumiya itself. <laughs> I think that the Haruichan anime is really funny, especially, but the manga is also really good. I haven't read the last couple of volumes. I felt fallen out of it in the last couple of years, but yeah, I'll definitely be looking forward to like finishing it up and. Yeah, it's kind of a shame that, you know, this is another Haruhi manga that's ending. It really feels like, wow, this is like the end of an era. If all this Haruhi is out of our lives, when is our Haruhi revival going to be? When are they going to make more Haruhi anime? I don't know, but we'll see. But that's not all, because another manga that's ending soon is Alicia's Diet Quest. This is a series that Kodansha USA recently began publishing digitally in English in November. And I've uh, skimmed through the first chapter of it. I bought the digital volume when it came out because it was on sale. And it's uh, basically, you know, the premise is what it is. It's, uh, you know, uh, about this priestess in this, uh, you know, Dragon Quest-esque party in this uh, Dragon Quest-esque fantasy world who are, like, he's trying to, like, lose weight through a bunch of, like, crazy, uh, uh, you know, exercise methods or, like, dieting methods, which, of course, leads to her appearing in compromising situations in front of the hero of the party. And it's very much like the hero plays like the plays kind of like a stoic, kind of like a reactionary. Uh, what is it called? The the Sikomi to the yeah the Sikomi to like her uh, you know crazy yeah antics. So yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like an etchy comedy manga about like her attempts to lose weight, even though she really does not look overweight at all. So it's like uh, does she. Why does she need to worry so much about this? So, you know, it's it's kind of it's amusing, but also the premise is not like the best in terms of you know where it draws its comedy from. But it's uh, it's ending on uh, the February ninth issue of Isatsu Shonen Magazine on January 9th. and I'm sure that uh, Kodansha will continue publishing this series, and you'll be able to read it all very shortly uh, within the next year, I think. And now let's talk about some new uh, manga that are coming out, starting with the creator of Suriduri Children's latest uh, short doujin manga, Toshiya Wakabayashi, recently ended uh, their romantic comedy Suriduri Children in a Weekly Shonen Magazine, and now they've 
posted a new web manga up on Twitter and a picture of Fanbox account called Kanako's Life as an Assassin following uh, the titular character Kanako, who is a former office lady that becomes an assassin by accident. And the debut chapter of this was published on October 28th and announced over 115,000 retweets and 317,000 likes. And so Wakabayashi posted chapter again with English translation with all the puns translated which is just delightful and hilarious like nope 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 antelope really great uh but yeah it's a really funny manga about like just this office lady uh she accidentally applies to for a job as an assassin and then she just like goes along with it because the hours are great and the pays are great and it seems like wow it's a great gig but oh i gotta kill people can i do that like her first gig is to kill her old boss and she's like thinking about nope 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 antelope i, I can't kill people like sure my boss is just like an awful person and i hate him so much and then as she's thinking about it like she shoots him dead and like she's her despondence at this is very short-lived because she she celebrates immediately with, with beer and alcohol and beer is like and, and there's like this message it's the best feeling in the world so it's like she she puts up so much protest like oh no i can't kill people man can i really kill this person but in the end she does it like so happily and the humor comes from like the contrast of like curvurious that oh no can i really do this and then it's like how flippantly she actually does do it and enjoys it and feels no remorse about it like she really is a natural so and of course the animal puns are just amazing like oh dear oh dear oh dear and we see images of animals behind her with like these really goofy puns like wakabayashi did like this english translation themselves like that's really great that's really fun smart oh no 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 hold on i'm on oh that's so good you know we'll link the we'll link the tweets where they posted the english translation of uh their of this chapter in the in the the description because it's really delightful it's a fun read and i want this to become a full serialization because it's just hilarious yeah this this was uh this was definitely pretty great i would i would love to read more of this um the 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 third tweet I guess containing the third chapter was probably my favorite. I think had the best punchline uh, out of the three of them, and that I don't even want to give it away. Like people should really go and read this. We'll like we'll definitely leave links to this in the show notes because this was this was probably one of the funniest things I've read all year. <laughs> yeah, uh, Wakabayashi is really great. With uh, I mean. Surgery children. It's a different kind of humor from surgery children because that was all about like really cute, awkward, like romantic comedy humor. You know, it was very sweet and innocent. And but this is like really kind of more dark humor. But it's still like the contrast is that it's so dark, but like she's so. It's presented like this happy kind of. Uh, her her actions are so happy and jubilant, and it's like. That's the humor. It's like she's he's murdering people, and it's like, oh, I feel so refreshed and so nice. I'm singing karaoke. It's like so good. I, I love it. Yeah, it's really it was, funny. It was pretty funny. Uh, speaking about manga about office ladies, Dagashikashi's Kochiyama is drawing a new one-shot manga that might be Dagashikashi related because the character in the preview image looks an awful lot like a character from Dagashikashi, Hajime Owari. 
who I did not watch the second season of the Kashikaji, so I didn't get like her full backstory. But I've read, you know, Bomber's blog where he was talking about the Kashikaji chapters, you know, as he was reviewing them. And basically, the character is a part-time worker at the Shikida Degashi store, like the characters work at. Uh, and, you know, she's pretty klutzy and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, so she dresses like kind of like a normous, normal office lady and stuff. But yeah, so this seems like a new one shot based on this character. And it's uh, going to come out in the magazine's combined fourth, fifth issue of Weekly Shonen, Weekly Shonen Sunday's uh, combined fourth, fifth issue on December 26th. It's called Itokashi. And yeah, I, I, just by the title, I think it's very related to uh, Dakashi Kashi. And it teases, oh, the main lead is her. So yeah, if you like the character Hajime Awari from Dakashi Kashi, it seems you're getting more of her, another story with her, which is cool. And uh, that in more cool news, it seems like Kachu Hero of Otomo, the creator of Atira, is creating a new full-length manga as well. He said so in an interview in this year's 26th edition of Big Comic Magazine that he's working on a new manga. And he admitted that it's a full-length work. Contents are secret. And he feels stuck when it comes to putting pencil to paper, but he's finding enjoyment and working away at it. So it's really exciting that we're going to get a new Otomo manga. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, if it gains traction, we'll get it out over here because Otomo is a very acclaimed creator. But yeah, I mean, I really love Akira. I really love Domu. Otomo uh, is a great uh, storyteller and he comes up with very interesting stories. So I'm curious to see what his next one will be about. But I'm also curious to see what Takako Shimura's next manga that she's launching in spring 2019 will be about. Shimura is, of course, the author behind Wandering Sun and Aoihana, a manga that are very good about exploring queer characters and queer identity. And... Her new series, we don't really have any details about it, what it'll be about. It's going to come out in Kudansha's Kiss magazine in spring 2019. But I'm very excited and interested for what it'll be about. I really need to fully read Wandering Sun and Aoihana and all of her work, rest of her works in general. And yeah, I'm really excited for another manga from her. But uh, of course, I am... The most excited for, guess what? Guess who's coming back? Guess who's also going to be launching a new manga in spring 2019? That is right. She returns once again to Shonen Sunday. Rumiko Takahashi is launching another new manga in spring 2019 in Weekly Shonen Sunday. A new Rumik world will finally be opened. She's hard at work on it right now. We don't have any details yet. We're gonna have to wait to hear some more. And the advertisement though specifically promises that this new manga is a series and not a one-shot or miniseries. This is a full-fledged series. This is gonna be her fifth Series for weekly Shonen Sunday after Rusiatsura, Ron Mahaf, Inuyasha, and Renee. So, yeah, I, of course, am always excited for more Yurusiatsura. I mean, more Rumiko Takashi in general. 
I love her manga. They are my favorite manga. If you were to ask me what my top five favorite manga, they'd be Yurisayatsu, Maizono Koku, Rama Half, and Inuyasha, and then Dragon Ball runs to the top five. But yes, her series are my favorites in the world. And I'm really looking forward to seeing a new work from her. I'm hoping that, you know, Wiz Media picks it up relatively quickly. I'm sure they will pick it up since they picked up, you know, all of our other works. And yeah, I just am looking forward to it. Like, I'm really interested in what she'll do this time. I'm hoping she tries something new or goes back to something a little different than what she normally does in terms of her supernatural romantic comedies, like maybe focus more in on horror or even return back to a battle story or even just like a normal slice of life romance without the supernatural elements could be cool. But yeah, obviously I'm excited for more Rumiko Takahashi and hope to report to you more about it when we get more details. But... That's not all we have to be excited about, of course, because Dorarara's Ryoko Narita is writing a new story for a live-action series and uh, its manga spinoff. That's right, Ryoko Narita, author behind Dorarara and Bakina. We talked about their previous manga for Weekly Shonen Jump Stealth Symphony in a previous episode. Well, Maxi and Colton, and I wasn't on that, unfortunately, but... Yes, it seems that they are once again diving into manga, not only manga, but also into live action TV because Inset Cage Lock is going to premiere in March 2019 on Japanese premium television station. Wow, wow. Naruto is going to team up with artist Dororu, previously known for the series Koi, and they're going to launch a related manga called Spinoff Bug and Bat that is related to Inset Cage Lock. That is going to be launching on the free manga app Comico in February. So the premise of the live action series is that it's a super powers based suspense drama that follows the character Kagyokuru, who is clumsy but a skilled fighter, and Nanami, who is a person who acts as an information broker for the criminal underworld. In their world, a cult known as Insect cage garden was experimenting on humans with special abilities until their subjects revolted and scattered but rumor has it that the cult left behind a vast treasure so kagoroku and nanami find themselves wrapped up in a fight for the treasure with criminals and people with powers so yeah i don't know who the bug and bat of the spin-off are gonna be but regardless it seems like another manga written by Narita is coming out. And in addition to that, it's related to this new show that he's writing as well. So very, very interesting. And yeah, I mean, Yen Press recently released another manga written by Narita, Death Mount Death Play. And I got a post for that at Anime NYC. And yeah, you know, maybe this new manga Narita's writing will get licensed as well. Who knows? But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But that does it for this Naruto news. So now let's talk about Tesca, a new Tesca biographical manga that's going to be coming out by Masaru Miyazaki, who is going to be teaming up with the author of a Girls Unpanzer manga, Takashi Nogami, to launch the untold story of the creation of TV anime, Usamu Tezuka and the Young People Created Anime, a manga that's based on uh, Masaru Miyazaki's original work that came out in the 8-2019 issue of uh, Weekly Shonen Champion, 
on January 21st. And so, yeah, that's going to come out on, well, yeah, so this manga is going to come out on the 8th, uh, 2019 issue of uh, Weekly Shonen Champion on January 24th. And yes, uh, as the title, the very uh, in detail describes, it's going to describe the how Osamu Tezuka and uh, his peers at the time created modern Japanese TV anime production basically like it's gonna tell the story of how tezuka and a team of reckless young people took on the challenge of producing the first weekly television anime and uh how tezuka held production of 1963's astro boy anime at mushi production studio and you know it was japan's first ever animated series and pioneered animation techniques and production epics that you know gave rise to the aesthetics and styles of television animation and uh how anime is produced even now so yeah, it's like a really, really cool story that they're going to be delving into and relating in this manga. And I am excited for it. Uh, Miyazaki has previously written several autobiographical manga, including like a story about how Tezuka created Blackjack, which was called the untold story, how Tezuka created his Blackjack, which was drawn by Koji Yoshimoto. And so now he's telling a very similar story about the history of Tezuka in terms of like, oh, how did Tezuka and his team create Astro Boy? What is the story behind there? The origins of Japanese TV anime production, which is a really exciting story. Uh, I am very keen to read it if it ever gets licensed, because this is, of course, you know, really fascinating to to kind of learn about. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes of it. I'm hoping it'll get licensed. So that's it for serialization news. And now we have licensing news. Now, unlike uh, the last time you had licensing news, uh, there is not a whole lot. Thank uh, God. There's only one piece of licensing news, which is kind of a relief considering how much serialization news we had. But uh, speaking of spinoffs, Yen Press has licensed uh, the Konosuba spinoff novels focused on Megumin everyone's favorite character from Kunisuba, I am assuming. I, you know, I personally love Megumin a lot. I mean, and she's definitely the most meme character of the series. And uh, yeah, so they've licensed Konosuba, an explosion on this wonderful world spinoff of novel series. And the first book of that is going to come out on June 18th, 2019. And yeah, it's basically a novel series about Megumin and her cl- magic land and all their crazy magic hijinks. And of course, I'm sure to feature a lot of explosions uh, as Megumi is want to love to do. So uh, I love the character of Megumin. She's really funny. I definitely will love to check out uh, more cone of this, uh, you know, light novel series and uh, its spinoffs. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And yeah, I mean, it's great to have just more Konosuba in my life as we wait for the film to come out. But that's it for licensing news. So now we go on to industry news. And unfortunately, uh, we have to start off on a bit of a dour note because several creators have recently passed away. So one of which is Yu Yamamoto, who has passed away on November 25th at the age of 71. He's a prolific anime script writer, and, you know, he wrote the script for 11 episodes of the original Mobile Suit Gundam television series. He wrote the scripts for the Mobile Suit Gundam movie trilogy. He wrote uh, several episodes of so many series over the year, more than 70 anime over the years, including Time Bokan, Yatterman, Yorosei Yatsura, 
and so many different mecha shows as well. Like he uh, was really prolific as an anime screenwriter, but he also wrote several novels in the name uh, Amamiya Koichiro. And he penned theme park musicals, stage plays, television shows, live action videos. He wrote scripts for Tokusatsu series like Ultraman Cosmos and Ultraman Taika Gaiden. Uh, just he worked uh, on the J9 series, which was like a trilogy of Japanese television anime uh, that was extremely popular. In Japan is like. You know, he he was a very prolific writer, uh, contributed to so many classic anime over the years, and even beyond that, to tokusatsu and all sorts of other media. And it's a real shame that, this, that he's passed away at, you know, a really relatively, like, young age as well. So, very sad. But also sad is the passing of Ko Takashina, who is a very prolific writer on Lupin the Third anime series. He wrote scripts for Lupin the Third Part Two and Lupin the Third Part Three television anime. He wrote uh, the live action detective series Taiyo Nihero, also known as Howl at the Sun, the live action period drama series Motar Zamora, and many other popular television programs. And he also worked as an author and serialized columns in a newspaper called Akita Sakigake Shimpo. And he died at the age of 76 on uh, December 4th. And it seems like specifically his body was discovered on October 10th, but it was, it was just recently that... Oh, it was only reported recently. Uh, but yeah, so it seemed he died two months ago. His body was discovered. I don't know where it was discovered, but it seems like he di- he only died of natural causes. But yeah, it's very sad to lose two very influential and prolific anime screenwriters in such a short span of time. Yeah, that is pretty sad. Moving on, we have a bit more positive news because it seems like Japan is really cracking down on the fight against piracy. Because recently, the Tokyo District Court ruled as a temporary measure on uh, in late November that YouTube must disclose user information for accounts on its website that allegedly violated copyright laws, specifically a YouTube user account that posted dialogue from the Ushijima Lone Shark manga without permission. And the court determined that it is illegal to share not only the manga itself, but also just the text from the manga without permission. So... This could set a huge precedent against sharing manga spoilers on YouTube, which is a big business in its own right. Like people would post not only just images from new chapters, but also, you know, text the story from there. So depending on how this case escalates, if it does, like this could set a precedent for spoiler culture on YouTube to be uh, challenged and addressed and hopefully, you know, stopped. But, of course, there's also free use uh, worries here because if, you know, if you, if it's, like, illegal n- not just to share images but also text, that could put a lot of restrictions on people who are making content, you know, under f- uh, free use guidelines, fair use guidelines. So, yeah, it's, it is a little 
tricky to find the line between like stopping you know accounts that are pirating series and and you know also putting at risk creators who are like making content on those series to like discuss it and promote it for like entertainment and review purposes but basically uh the court has ruled that youtube must disclose the user's information the user who is responsible for like uh posting this dialogue from this manga and the case was filed by Chicago Khan in on October 4th on behalf of the mangakaka Shohei Manabe themselves. Uh, the case is still going, but you know this discussion of manga piracy in Japan as a social issue is just continuing to grow, especially and is now uh, it seems like it's really also tackling like this spoiler uh, culture on YouTube where you know users are posting like manga pages as videos on YouTube and stuff. But uh, related to this is also more penalties against piracy because Japan's Agency of Cultural Affairs uh, revealed on December 7th uh, that it plans to instate a penalty for anyone that downloads manga, magazines, novels, essays, and photographs from the internet with the knowledge that they have been uploaded illegally. And under these proposed revisions, you can be be jailed for up to two years in prison, or uh, you will be fined 2 million yen, which is about 17,740 US dollars. And uh, these revisions are going to be, uh, to the Copyright Act, are going to be uh, submitted in the next ordinary diet section, uh, uh, the next ordinary session of the Japanese diet in 2019. So how does it differ from current laws is that current laws only punish the consumer of pirated media in cases where the media in question is music or video. But now these new laws are going to expand to books. So it's going to expand to manga novels. So this is another way that Japan is like trying to fight piracy of manga and of books in general is like to impose these penalties uh, that have very serious consequences for people who pirate and encourage pirating culture. And so the agency is also planning to submit a proposal to ban leet sites that aggregate and provide hyperlinks to pirated media. They've already asked internet service providers to voluntarily block sites that hosted pirated content. And uh, NTT, we reported this earlier, did comply by blocking street websites with pirated content. But, you know, that was challenged by a Saitama lawyer who claim that this was a violation of the Telecommunications Business Act, and we don't really know uh, where this, that case is going to go, but uh, it seems like that internet service providers, at least some of them, will, might, will comply with a blocking pirated content as well. And uh, yeah, new legislation is also going to be introduced to expand the scope of site blocking in 2019, including... Well, using the argument that pirated content harms publishers and content creators, and that site blocking would be allowed under the Averting Present Danger article of Japan's penal code. And yeah, I mean, this is basically uh, an update uh, basically on this whole situation that we've been kind of talking about throughout the year of how Japan is trying to penalize and prevent piracy and how this is now really extending to protect the rights of uh, manga publishers and creators by, you know, expanding the penalty for the current laws to also include in its scope manga magazines and novels and uh, images as well as, you know, 
where it was previously just music or video now it's like also books and uh just images and uh written content in general that is you know has a copyright on it and is under the ownership of someone else so these are really great new um, measures that, you know, hopefully will be passed and hopefully will have a lasting effect on uh, curbing the piracy problem. But now we move on to some interest news and uh, related to kind of court cases. We have uh, an unfortunate story in that a fe- and that a woman who is a boy's love author in China has received a 10-year and 6-month prison sentence for breaking obscenity laws because this uh, author known as Liu sold BL novels on Taobao, China's largest online shopping site, and her novel Attack and Occupy sold around 7,000 copies uh, between November 2017 to May 23rd earlier this year, and she earned uh, about 21,000 US dollars off of that, but she was arrested for violating China's uh, obscenity laws because Uh, Her novel obscenely described male and female homosexuals and also contained violence, abuse, vulgarity, and other behaviors related to sexual perversion. Uh, So basically, just for depicting queer people in her novel, she has been arrested. Basically, the police began an investigation on her to, like, uh, last year, last November... And they discovered like her the her no- delivery of her novels and uh, questioned her, stalked and arrested several several of her publishing partners, and so yeah, she has been uh, she and her typesetter uh, Lynn have been sentenced to ten years and six months in prison. But you know they're they're filing an appeal and they're trying to fight it back against the court system. And both Chinese and Japanese netizens have uh, decried this uh, move by the Chinese government because this is very harsh and like you know Chinese innocents have pointed out you know this is ridiculous to sentence a woman for 10 years in prison for a book that only sold 7,000 copies when an actress called Fan Bingbing uh, only had to pay a fine for tax evasion yeah so they're, they'd, ra- they'd rather uh, put this woman in prison for selling boys love novels than uh, like punishing unpopular actress for like not paying her taxes which is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. And, you know, China, it has banned depictions of homosexuality on television as part of their cultural crackdown on vulgar and immoral and unhealthy content and stuff. Like, they ban uh, gay content from... Uh, they tried to ban gay content on the social media platform Sina Webu earlier this year, but, like, reversed the decision from after, you know, protests from Chinese uh, LGBT advocates, like, uh, you know, became too much, it seems. So... You know, China is not a very friendly place for LGBT creators, it seems. Um, So this is very disgusting what the Chinese government is doing just for for someone for creating a work featuring queer characters. Like they're going to give her 10 years in jail, which is just absurd. So hopefully the outcry from Chinese netizens and the Chinese LGBT community can prevent her from being in prison for 10 years and you know just drop these charges entirely these ridiculous charges 
for like ridiculous laws that ban homosexuality or, or depicting or acknowledging it. So uh, China is not looking good right now. It's not a friendly place for LGBT creators or people in general. Some very unfortunate stuff happening there. So China is doing a lot of wrongs, but you know, Korea, uh, it seems South Korea has uh, taken a good step or I don't know if like they've necessarily done it. The government of Calgary hasn't necessarily done anything to do this, but like basically uh, the largest illegal manga website in Korea uh, Maru Maru, which illegally reproduced and translated manga and earned revenues through advertising, shut down uh, in late November. And in the shutdown, like they had this service uh, message, like check back later. But like it seems that uh, the entire operations for this site have completely shut down. And everything has uh, closed. And I think this is probably a response to penalties that uh, illegal Kore- Korean manga websites have faced in uh, recently by, you know, the, the Korean courts, which uh, have fined, you know, other Korean uh, scanlation sites like BombToki, filing copyright laws and uh, imprisoning like the people behind them for, for jail time. And so Bamtoki uh, was Korea's largest illegal distribution site for webtoons and, uh, you know, earned $950 million in, like, illegal money and profit, like, in just a year and a half after its establishment. But, you know, so now, uh, you know, the government cracked down on that and now they began investigating Morumaru. Uh, and that might have finally, like, forced Morumaru to kind of, like, shut down before, like... Uh, they also face like any charges or penalties as well so it seems like the korean government's actions pursuing and punishing scam leaders and the creators of aggregate sites in korea are paying off in that they are also force forcing other scanlation sites in korea to like you know think twice and you know begin shutting down their operations so that's good news that's some good news on the anti-piracy front yeah, a lot of great steps being taken forward on that front. Mm-hmm. But now moving on to discussions of courts and piracy, let's talk about some movies. Now, you might have seen earlier on all the all Nash comic uh, that I wrote a review for Pokemon The Power of Us, which uh, I saw during its theatrical run and really enjoyed. And it seems like it earned a healthy... Uh, box office gross. It earned about $789,170 in U.S. theaters during its four-day screening between November 24th and December 1st. And this is... its and I don't know how the Pokemon company is going to take these numbers. Like, they're very comparable to, like, how average theatrical screenings in uh, the U.S. generally go for anime. Like, you can compare these numbers to, you know, just... I'd say the likes of uh, a fairy tale dragon cry or perfect blue or stuff like that. Like if you break down the per day average, like it's very comparable to like what other anime films would probably perform uh, during a four day screening period. But you know, you compare this to the resounding successes like MJ earlier in the year, you know, it, it looks like 
it, it's not quite as successful. Like it didn't break a million in box office, and especially compared to last year's Pokemon films theatrical screening, Pokemon I Choose You, which was so successful that you know they added more days to the screening period. Like an, they added a whole extra week of screenings for Pokemon I Choose You because it did so well, and Pokemon I Choose You that grows like. Two million four hundred four hundred thousand dollars uh in his US box office. So, you know, the Pokemon uh the power of us did not break even a million. So comparatively it was not nearly successful, but I'm sure you know there's also a bunch of other factors related to that. Cause Pokemon I Choose You, that debuted before the Thanksgiving weekend. That that debuted like in early november and then here pokemon power us that was post thanksgiving like early december where there is also not a a whole bunch happening at the box office in general uh so it wasn't necessarily a great time to release it but also pokemon i choose you had a lot more hype and momentum behind it not only in like the marketing of it but also in terms of like what the story of that movie was about like it was a remake of uh, the first season of the show, I mean, very loosely, but that was like what the selling point of it is like, oh, it's going to this is Ash's adventures revisited from the beginning. And we're, and we're going to touch upon like some familiar nostalgic beats. And so I'm sure that drew a lot of people in who are, who are nostalgic for, you know, the Kanto days of Pokemon of the anime. And also that movie being like the first Pokemon film to be released in theaters since Pokemon Black and White in the U.S. was probably also an exciting factor for fans. So Pokemon Power of Us, though, is completely divorced from the anime continuity. It's not really a remake of the show in any form. It's like a completely original story. It's not even related to the Pokemon Sun and Moon anime. And I think that only helped it be, be as good, great a film as it was because like it really allowed itself the freedom to explore its characters in great depth and you know use ash more effectively than ash is used in other pokemon films where he's kind of kind of feels like ash is there because he has to be there but like it really feels like it'd be better if the film focused it focused on its other characters but like here you know ash has a purpose and he feels like a part of you know the story but he's not overtaking the story but beyond that like i don't think that this is a I feel I don't know how the Pokemon company is going to take this. Like I feel that they might be disappointed with this box office return. I think it's only average. It seems just based on like how you would compare it to other screenings. But this is also Pokemon, so you would also expect you know Pokemon to do better than average. Like even a film that isn't laden with like the nostalgia that I choose you was, you would expect to perform better. I feel. But regardless, I don't think that this is going to be a. Uh, bad sign for getting more pokemon movies in theaters i i really feel like even though this might not uh, have performed as well as i choose you i don't think that's gonna matter because the next film next year's film is gonna be like mewtwo strikes back evolution so they can sell that movie on nostalgic lines again because it's gonna be about mewtwo again so, yeah, I feel confident that we should still get that in U.S. theaters. I'm more worried about whether Pokemon USA will contribute this movie's, you know, comparatively more disappointing box office return to the fact that it 
kept the original Japanese score, which I really hope that's not their takeaway because the movie was all the more better for keeping the original score. I don't want them to go back to using their own in-house replacement score, which is just not, never as good. It's always awful. It really, really hurt uh, watching I Choose You with their replacement score when the Japanese music was just so much more appropriate. So, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers that that's not going to be their takeaway from it that they continue using the original score when they dub future movies but we'll have to wait and see i'm still crossing my fingers for that and for being able to see uh mewtwo strikes back evolution in theaters next year because i like seeing pokemon in movie theaters and it's it's fun i didn't get to do it as a kid when they released the original trilogy in the theaters so like that i get to see the newer movies in there now all right speaking of movie news though uh, we're going to move on to some box office numbers, not not North America necessarily, but over in, in Mexico. Uh, we have some box office numbers for uh, My Hero Academia 2 Heroes for uh, for New Mexico, thanks to Canacine.org, um, in which uh, um, I'm assuming the Google Translate on this is correct, that uh, these are box office numbers from between November 30th to December 2nd. Um, in which My Hero Academia 2 Heroes ranked number 8th at the box office uh, that weekend with a grand total of 6.8 million pesos, which I guess equates to about uh, a little over $300,000 or so in the box office, uh, roughly speaking. Uh, so it's nice to see that um, even outside of North America, My Hero Academia 2 Heroes is making a lot of money, or is making a respectable amount, it seems. Uh, but speaking of MHA, we have uh, the latest character popularity poll to talk about, which uh, I find very interesting on many levels. Um, before we even get into the results, it's it's worth mentioning that um, at least as far as uh, Viz goes, they announced their character poll, uh, the, I guess their version of the character poll back around August, which I'm assuming is pretty close to when like you know, the, the actual, like, weekly shouldn't jump over in Japan probably announced their poll as well. And uh, apparently news broke out around uh, about a month later in September that the results of the poll were going to be delayed until November because uh, apparently Shueisha received twice the amount of votes that they, that they got in their last poll. And apparently it was going to take that much longer for them to count the results, which I think is absolutely insane. But do you know what's even more surprising? Viz got even more votes than the Japanese poll. Viz got over a hundred thousand votes in total, and the original and the poll that Japan conducted only got over eighty thousand. Viz got a whole twenty thousand more votes. That that's insane, especially since apparently, like, um, as far as the Japanese poll goes, uh, 2,000 of those votes came from outside of Japan. How many of those came from North America? We don't really know, but I'm assuming so at least some of those came from over here, too. Yeah, maybe there were people who voted on both polls. I'm sure there were. I would not put that past most My Hero Academia fans. But uh, so it, it's really interesting because I guess... Um, you know, like you said, uh, Viz got over 100,000 votes for their poll, making it their the biggest poll they've ever had, apparently. Um, so a lot of people sent in a lot of votes for, for the poll this time around, and obviously overwhelmed Shueisha 
by a lot. Um, but getting into the actual results of the poll, um, not much different as far as like the top three. But I actually, I guess we'll we'll start from like the bottom up. So at number ten, uh, we have All Might, Mister uh, Yagi Toshinori. At number nine, we have uh, Tenya Ida. Number eight, we have uh, Endeavor, Mister Ng Todoroki. At number seven, we have Momo Yao, Yao Yorozu. That's a mouthful. Um, at number six, we have Best Genist with Kirishima at number five. Hawks at number four, fairly recent character there. Uh, at number three, we have Izuku Midoriya. Oh, poor Midoriya. At number two, we have Shoto Todoroki. And at number one, reigning supreme once again, Mr. Katsuki Bakugo. <laughs> so... So what what's that? It's his second or third time placing first? Not it's his second time for Bakugo placing uh placing first, which is pretty crazy. Um I mean I guess not that crazy, because I don't know, like I mean if you asked me last year with last year's poll, you know, I was I was one of those people who was like, oh Bakugo, why does he get first? But honestly, like, I could see why people would vote Bakugo over Midoriya probably. For a couple of reasons, maybe. I mean, you know what's really crazy is that the so the in Japan the gap between Bakugo at first place and Todoroki at second place is like only about a little over one thousand votes. Guess how big the gap between Bakugo uh, in in the U.S. Paul guess how big the gap between Bakugo at first place and Midoriya at second place is in the U.S. poll. I'm I'm looking at it right now, and like both Bakugo and Todoroki in the Japanese poll, like have almost like basically double the votes that Midoriya has. That's insane. Yeah, but in the U.S. poll, no, but yeah, but in the U.S. poll, Midoriya at second place has eleven thousand six hundred and ninety-nine votes. And at first place, Bakugo has 38,065 votes. Bakugo has 26,000 more votes than Midoriya at second place. That's how big the gap is between first and second place in the U.S. poll. That's how insanely more popular Bakugo is than Midoriya in the U.S. poll. I mean, I'm torn because, like... I want to say Bakugo deserves it, but, like, I feel so bad for Midoriya. <laughs> and keep in mind, the the poll had 100,000 votes. Bakugo has 40% of those votes, of those 100,000 people. That's that's pretty, uh, wow. And and uh, that, that means he has 30,000 more votes than Todoroki, even. Yeah, he literally has 30,000 more votes than Todoroki. Todoroki had 8,934 votes. Like, Jeez. That's, it's insane, the gulf between the top three. And that's, that's like, that's like almost twice the votes he got in the Japanese poll, too. <laughs> it is. It is over twice. It is insane, the scale. Like, so the Japanese poll had 80,000 votes. So Bakugo got like one fifth of the votes. So I guess if you were to think of it that way, uh, no. Well, let's see. 20%. I mean, I guess it's roughly comparable. It's still like Bakugo got one fifth of the votes basically in a boat. No, Bakugo had twice more. Bakugo had two fifths of the votes in 
the U.S. poll. So yeah, like it's it's double uh, the amount of votes. Mm, we, we literally. Should, so we we should probably go over the U.S. poll real quick too. Um, aside from the top three, uh, at tenth place we have Uraraka, uh Ninth we have Togata. Eighth place Asui or uh, Suyu. Uh, number seven, we have All Might. Uh, number six, uh, Eraserhead or Aizawa. Uh, fifth place, Yaoyorozu. And fourth place, Kirishima. Yeah, so it's interesting the characters that made the Japan poll and didn't make the US poll and vice versa. So, like, the US poll, we have Murio and we have Suyu and we have Araka. Which, that's disappointing to me that Uraraka doesn't even place in the top ten in the Japanese poll. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, what has she done, though, recently? She really hasn't gotten the chance to do much, unfortunately. But at the same time, why Bis Genus? Why is he more popular than characters who have actually done stuff? It's probably because he's hot, let's be honest. <laughs> I guess? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm not saying... That's not my personal opinion. I'm just saying there's there's probably a very dedicated best genus fan club out there that is responsible for that. I would not put that past Japanese fans. Yeah, I mean, it's a little disappointing that only one female character ranks in the Japanese top 10, Yaoyorozu. But, I mean, I, the US poll is better in that it has Uraraka and Asui, even though, like... I mean, yeah, Yairos is in top five, so that's also good for the U.S. poll. Man, I remember when My Hero Academia was first getting off the ground and how popular Suyu was. Like, it was kind of insane. I mean, she's still insanely popular with U.S. fans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's true. Um, I guess I'm just kind of surprised she's not as popular with the Japanese fan base. Yeah, I mean, I get, they've gravitated to other characters, it seems. I mean, Endeavor, they've fully embraced him it seems he's ranking in the top 10 i guess his redemption arc has paid off for japanese readers uh yeah and we got hawks recent character but made a big impression but that wasn't enough for uh, u.s readers but u.s readers did respond well to mirio and you know he ranks in there i'm glad i'm glad that aizawa ranked in the top 10 in the u.s poll because he's 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 probably one of my favorite characters honestly in the entire series mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think, I think I voted for Midoriya in, in the U.S. poll. Who, who did you vote for? I don't remember at this point. I feel like I voted for All Might still, but I can't, I don't remember. <sighs> see, exactly. now, see, now that you say that, I feel like I could have voted for All Might too. <laughs> I'm sad that All Might ranks so low in the Japanese poll at 10. Like, he's, he's still, he's better in the U.S. poll, but like, it's kind of sad that, you know, he, in the Japanese world, he's, was all, he's like very close to being out of that top 10. He's at number 10. Endeavor ranks higher than him. The, the man who physically and emotionally abused his wife ranks higher than him. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. It's just like kind of sad that, you know, he's ranked lower than a lot of other characters that, uh, you know, are... I feel like, I guess Japanese fans are responding to more, but I don't know. I like All Might a lot still. I mean, I, I, I love All Might too. I'm just saying that, like, I feel like uh, unless he has some more relevancy in the story coming up, that, like, I, I, I feel like because he's not relevant at this point and may not be relevant for a, for a while, that his popularity is probably going to dwindle. 
But I wonder how much relevancy really matters when you have best genist at number six. Like, you just have to leave a strong enough impression to rank highly. Like, in One Piece popularity polls, how how long did Shanks, like, rank in, like, the top ten out of, like, just one appearance in the first chapter for so many years? And that now, even today, these days, we have characters like uh, Boa Hancock in the top ten recent polls, even though she hasn't been in the story for, like, seven years or whatever. I mean, I guess that's true. You really never know with these these polls but uh yeah it's really it's really amazing like how much turnout that these two single polls have had compared to the last one we had last year it's kind of insane it is really 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 (laughs) incredible like the the fact that the u.s poll got more votes than the japanese poll is to me the most incredible and really speaks to just how insanely popular mhj is here but also it speaks to like how many people are reading it and like are going on visit psych to read it? Because the only way you would find out about this poll is if you were regularly visiting visit psych to read the manga or, or any of the manga on there. Or maybe like on Twitter or something. Yeah, I mean, you could probably see it passed around on Twitter. But I feel like this speaks to like the audience there is in North America that's like reading MHA and how big that is and like... I think maybe that's also a sign of why this has decided to take a chance on their new subscription service is because the audience is there and they're like eager to read series like MHA. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I have to add is I, I'm waiting for the day that Bakugo gets knocked off of first, which I feel like won't be for a long time, but like I feel like it has to happen at some point. Like I, I want my boy Midoriya to get on top. I mean. The gulf is vast between them in boat bowls, so yeah, uh, it's gonna take some work. It seems. I mean, I guess that speaks to how much of an impression Bakugo leaves, and really, I think also speaks to the character development and growth he's had over the past couple of years or so. I mean, it was pretty great timing that these poll results were published, and the week the same of uh, the week a chapter demonstrating Bakugo's character growth in the manga was published mm-hmm. like literally the most recent chapter is showing off how bakugo has grown as a person as a as a team player so that was quite fortuitous timing to release this poll on the same week as that chapter but yeah um but i guess we'll move on from the my hero academia popularity poll to another poll that uh is being held so uh you know we we talked about on the show previously how uh you know, uh, readers got to pick the top 10 moments from the Dragon Ball manga uh, earlier in the month. And so now, uh, basically, Shueisha is running another poll on V-Jump's official site in which basically uh, you get to pick from Goku's many battles he's had over the series. And that's and that's all the way from the beginning of Dragon Ball to the super manga with his fight with uh, Jiren in the Tournament of Power. So basically his most recent fight. And uh, we'll we'll leave a link in the in the show notes because uh, as far as I can see, there's no like there's no like end date for this poll just yet. Not that I could find anyway. Um, so I guess until whenever they decide to take this poll down, uh, you can go to V Jump's site that'll basically give you a list of fifty different fights that Goku has had all throughout the franchise. Uh, through the manga franchise anyway, and you get to pick uh, one fight, and uh, basically that'll be your vote. I think personally, I voted for um, 
I kind of I kind of just picked to vote just to kind of like try out the poll, but uh, I think I picked like Goku's fight with Tien during the um, what is it the twenty second martial arts tournament? Mm, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I probably would have picked like his fight with uh, Demon King Piccolo. And apparently, voter voters can share their picks on Twitter for a chance to win a Goku action figure. And uh, the more vo- the more vo- votes that are shared, uh, the more figures will be rewarded. Uh, so that's a nice little incentive. I think I uh, even during the recording, I uh, I tweeted out uh, my choice. So hopefully, maybe I'll win a I'll, maybe I'll win a figure. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Lum, have you uh, gotten the chance to check out this poll at all yet? I have. It's kind of interesting. So they choose fifty different fights, but it's not all of goku's fights that he's ever had of course they skipped some like uh the fight with the bear teeth from early dragon ball or the most important fight from early in the series goku versus fish yeah they don't have (laughs) goku versus the fish i'm not even kidding if that was a choice i would have picked it it's pretty funny but uh yeah they don't have goku versus yakon uh you know that's a notable one they don't have goku versus a cell jr they uh they skip a few it's some of the minor ones which i think that's fair yeah but in, yeah in general they have all the major ones here uh i haven't voted yet but you know if i were to choose to choose i think i would go with goku versus P- piccolo in the 23rd budokai oh you see that's another good one too yeah i waver between that and goku versus Riza as my favorite fight but like I'm in the mood where I'm thinking about that as, yeah, that was to me like just the most satisfying fight Goku's ever been in in terms of like how good the victory felt because Goku has been fighting the Budokai for three times now and now finally he not only beats like his big rival and biggest enemy to date, but he also finally wins the Budokai and gets the title of the world's strongest. So that's like the most satisfying fight to me yeah i definitely agree and even if uh speaking as far as like the ferocity of these fights go like in my mind that fight is probably the most visceral in all of dragon ball like there there are some hits in there that like really hurt to look at i think the only other fight that like makes me wince in pain is like piccolo's fight with 17 really well because because like i mean I'm I'm not sure if it's carried over in the manga, but like I remember in the anime, how like you know there are points where Seventeen punches Piccolo so hard that like his fist like extends his back, like that that shit hurts, man. Like or at least it, like that kind of stuff really hurts to look at. I definitely think Piccolo gets the brunt of the most brutal fights in the series, just because he's the sort of character that can take it because of the way his body works and the fact that you can cut off his arms or and whatever and he'll be able to regrow them. So he can bear the brunt of a lot of violence. And the fact that his body can stretch, you know, no matter how much they don't ever use that ability of his. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of a shame. Um but no, yeah, um, we'll definitely leave a link to this poll in the show notes for the episode. It's not it's not terribly difficult to to uh, navigate. So if you don't know that much Japanese, don't worry. Like the the site is pretty good about giving you enough illustrations to see like you know which fight you're voting for and whatnot. So it's it's not too terribly difficult to navigate, which is good. Mm-hmm. And the poll results aren't out yet, but. 
earlier this week, uh, they tweeted out who was like in the top three, and at Herms98 on uh, Twitter, you know, translated what the results were. And I can't find the tweet right now, but basically the top three was Goku versus Majin Vegeta. Uh, Go- Goku versus Frieza was set number one. Then it was Goku versus Majin Vegeta, and then Goku versus Piccolo in the 23rd Widow guy. Mm, okay. And yeah. Also, uh, they also noted that Goku versus the Mummy was also surprisingly popular. I don't know where it was ranking, but apparently, but like the tweet that uh, Chuesh uh, or Vijum put out, you know, noted that Goku versus the Mummy was popular. So, huh, that's that's really interesting because I'm not sure if I remember that fight very well at all. Which, which is weird because like the arc that that fight comes from is probably one of my favorites in all the series. So. <laughs> Oh, Fortune Teller Baba? Yeah, I, I love that arc. It's it's one of the few... Yeah. It's basically the only part of the Dragon Ball manga that I own in Japanese because I, I love some of those... Fu- I, I, love, I love a lot of the comedy in that arc. Yeah, it's really good. Um, But I think that's about it for poll news. We can uh, move on to some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So just some... Um... Fun little tidbits is that recently in an interview, Katsura Otomo cited uh, the create one of the creators of Ashino no Joe, Tetsuya Chiba, uh, as a hugely influential uh, figure for him in terms of like his artistic inspiration and development. Because back when he was drawing Domu, he was trying to figure out the grammar of his manga. And then he flips through Big Comic Magazine one day at a soba shop in Kikjoji. And he discovered Tetsuya Chiba's Notari Matsutaro. And upon reading the series, he was like, I found it. Because he felt like the pacing was just like the style that Otomo wanted to go for. And so afterwards, Otomo studied Chiba's works a lot uh, out of admiration and for inspiration and Otomo explained that, you know, Chiba's manga is excellent at framing both the backgrounds and the characters within them feel grounded. It's easy to grasp how tangible they are from the way they're drawn. And he goes on to further elaborate that when I read manga these days, there are a lot of times I can't grasp what the characters are doing and what where they're doing it. You know, kind of like how I was uh, talking about earlier with Ruby and how my problems with that were. And uh, Otomo goes on to elaborate, the drawings may look cool but they bring you too close to the characters and there's no thought about how to make it easy for the reader to grasp and chiba makes sure to bring the reader out of it when you present the story with impartiality it adds to the scope of it and it makes things more interesting so this was an interview uh otomu gave in the talk about big comic interview series where famous manga artists share their thoughts and feelings about big comic in the wake of the magazine's 50th anniversary and, of course, this was also the same uh, interview in which Otomo revealed, as we reported earlier, that he's working on his new full-length manga. So I thought that was a really interesting tip to share that, you know, Tetsuya Chiba had such an influence on Otomo and, you know, his critis- and like his, uh, his analysis of what makes Otomo's work stand out, I totally agree with. And especially, you know, when he's drawing contrast to... Uh, like some kind of modern manga, which, you know, like we talked about earlier with Ruby, you know, it's very hard to figure out where characters are within a scene. Uh, Like Chiba was really good at communicating a setting and how characters exist in that space and in that world. So I thought that was a very prescient point that uh, Otomo made. And I found it very interesting as a fan of both Katsura Otomo and Tetsuya Chiba. 
But now we're going to move on to some more movie-related news. And the first is a huge announcement that uh, there's going to be a new Gundam film trilogy. The Gundam Hathaway Flash Film Trilogy. A new project to coincide with Gundam's 40th anniversary based on the Gundam uh, Hathaway's Flash novel series. There's also going to be a compilation film project of Gundam Raccoon Guisa and G in 2019 and there'll be a new spring television airing of Gundam the Origin. There's also going to be a new Gundam build work in 2019 and a new SD Gundam work called SD Gundam World Sangoku Sokuditsuden in 2019. And uh, the keyword Sunrise has noted for the franchise's 20th, uh, 40th anniversary Itos is beyond. And it, you know, unveiled four posters for the anniversary with each poster crossing over two Gundam series and which is really cool. And uh, X Japan and Luna C member Suzy Gizzo are composing a new song for the franchise's 40th anniversary, and they performed it live uh, during the presentation Sunrise gave uh, in late November to when they announced all of this cool new stuff. Yeah, so this uh, Hathaway Flash film trilogy is uh, coming out. Uh, there's all sorts of really cool new uh, Gundam projects coming out. That's uh, really exciting. And so the Hathaway Flash uh, novel series is set in the year uh, Universal Century 0105. It centers around the character Hathaway Noah, who originally appeared in Char's Counterattack as the son of the influential Federation ship Captain Bright Noah. This is Bright Sun, and it's, yeah, so this takes place about 12 years after Char's Counterattack, and it and it deals with the aftermath of Charles Counterattack uh, through the eyes of uh, Brout's son. So it's very interesting premise. I'm really looking forward to this film and uh, all these new Gundam projects that just seem really cool. Like I'm really excited for the TV cut of uh, Origin. I I like the Gundam build series, so I'm looking to see uh, how the next uh, iteration of that will turn out. And, uh, SD Gundam is cute, so cool that we're getting more of that too. So, very nice, very cool. And so yeah, the Hathaway's Flash film trilogy is going to start next winter, so winter 2019. So, uh, the new films are going to release at a rate of every two years, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Hopefully we can get maybe theatrical screenings over here in the US. I'd really love to see these in theaters. I mean, they sound really interesting. So yeah, cool, cool stuff for Gundam fans. But in more movie news, this is a really cool thing, is that uh, Barbara, a uh, classic Osama Tezuka manga, is getting a live-action film adaptation by Makoto Tezuka, who is directing the adaptation, Well, Christopher Doyle will be uh, handling the cinematography. It's going to basically be a Japanese-UK co-production because it'll be distributed by UK film distributor Third Window Films. There's already a teaser out for the film, a one-minute teaser that shows, like, you know, how it's going to be, kind of come out, how it's going to look and kind of shows off some scenes of the film and it looks really good it looks really well lit i like the style of it it seems barbara is a story that i think would make for a very intriguing live action movie for people who aren't even familiar with tezuka's work and uh his storytelling and so you know it's cool that this is going to be directed by that this is directed by tezuka's son and it's you know uh international co-production 
not just between like a you know third window films and japan's the fool but also germany's rapid eye movies and uh, christopher Doyle, the cinematographer is known for his work on wong kar wai's hong kong films and uh, the post-production is being handled in germany by rapid eye movies and uh well the main visual and trailer were designed in the uk and so uh Tesca described in, at the event that presented this, that uh, trailer, that why I chose to adapt Barbara into film is because I feel that as a director, Barbara is the work of my father, which I felt would be closest to his personal style and taste. And uh, he follows through with the film's production as a rare chance to make a co-production with many large countries and have it seen by a, a large audience across the world. And, you know, it's challenging to do international co-productions. But, like, doing so opens up a world of possibilities. And, yeah, like, hopefully this reaches a huge audience. Uh, you know, this was announced at Tezuka's 98th birthday party at the Imperial Tokyo. So this is very much a celebration of Tezuka's legacy. And it's clear that Makoto Tezuka really wanted to make a big project like this kind of get seen as by as many people as possible. And Barbara's a relatively, like, lesser known work of Tezuka's, but... It's also a very interesting story. I have a lot of personal affection for it because it's one of the... When I was really getting into Tesca, like, jeez, uh, 2013, I, you know, it was one of the first works I really delved into, you know, besides reading Astro Boy and Blackjack a little bit as a kid. And, you know, it was my first, like, really adult Tesca work that I read, and it really fascinated me with the cycle logical nature of the story and like some of the disturbing elements of the human psyche that Tesca explores through Barbara and also kind of like some of these uh, these ideas about creativity and muses and kind of this masochism that cre- creators have in, ter- in trying to find like inspiration to create their stories which is all really really fascinating to me uh, and yeah, you know, the manga is available by DMP. They released it back in 2013 and, you know, it even was nominated for an Eisner Award back then. Uh, so you can check out the manga in preparation for the film to come out. I hope that, you know, if it doesn't get a wide release in U.S. theaters, I would at least like to see a limited release. I would like to see it in a theater. You know, that it's signed to me a live action adaptation of Barbara. Uh, one that looks so well made, so really interesting. I'm I'm really excited for it, and uh, I'll leave a link to trailer in the description. And yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> I I just am really excited for it. I'm also really excited for a slate of new Netflix shows. Netflix has announced a lot of new anime <laughs> recently. Um, one of the big ones is an adaptation of Yumi Tamura's Seven Seas, which they revealed during their anime lineup presentation on uh, late, in late November. And uh, they're planning for a global launch with it on April 2019, uh, around the same time that they're going to be putting out a lot of cool new stuff. But yeah, it's going to be directed by Yukio Takahashi, who previously directed the Dog and Scissors anime uh, done by Studio Gonzo. Tochida Machida is in, star- is in charge of the series competition. They're known for work on Idolmaster, Chiaka, Harukana Receive. Yoko Sato is designing the characters. They're designer from Dog and Scissors, Sayuki, Rilo Blast, and Karukuro. And I- I'm not totally uh, a fond of like the work that these uh, staff members have done in the past, but I am still very excited for Seven Seeds because... 
Yumi Damura, if you may know, it was the author of Basara, which is this really great uh, shoujo historical historical epic manga that uh, Viz has published. It's like it's really great. I really like it a lot. And uh, Seven Seas was like her follow up series to that. It was that she has been writing since two thousand one. Uh, it started in Bizzazzo Shoujo comic magazine, but then it moved into Monthly Flowers. And then it ended recently, like last year, last May. Uh, and so I'm really excited that, you know, you know, this series has not been licensed yet at all. But now we're finally getting an anime adaptation. And uh, the reception to the anime, ta- anime adaptation is good. But maybe we'll get more. We'll get the manga over here. And so... You know, I really, I really like Basra, so I'm looking forward to checking out Seven Seeds because I like Yumi Tamura's storytelling, and uh, I think if it pays the way for the manga to get licensed, I can only be good. But that's not all of the insane, uh, exciting new projects that Flix is coming up with at all. Uh, there's even more. Would you like to go in the next one, Colton? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, Netflix is going to be producing another live action anime adaptation uh this time is going to be a tv series uh one that we kind of already knew about uh last year that was already reported on i guess uh for those who don't know uh it was reported last year that uh tomorrow studios who are basically the studio behind the one piece live action tv series which uh we still haven't gotten any news on that um since i think last year was it last July that was announced? Um, hopefully there'll be some news on that at some point. But uh, they also announced that uh, they were going to be producing a live-action Cowboy Bebop series. And now it's been basically confirmed by Netflix that they are going to be uh, co-producing that. And it'll be uh, obviously premiering on Netflix uh, with 10 episodes with uh, Shinichiro Watanabe, the original creator of the Cowboy Bebop anime, as, con- as a consultant. And as far as credits go, I'll I'll keep it short and say that uh, Chris Yost, who apparently was a writer on both Thor The Dark World and Thor Ragnarok, both the worst and best Thor movies, uh, will be writing the first episode and apparently is also credited as the executive producer. So we don't really have much other information outside of that. Uh, Netflix released a a short little teaser, uh, but it didn't really like reveal anything like at all other than it's going to be coming to Netflix. So um I don't know if we really talked uh, did we talk about this at all on on the podcast last year? I'm not sure if we did. Maybe, I don't remember. Um but so yeah, I don't know. Um again, not really much and not a lot of info to uh to uh to dig into here other than again, it's going to be 10 episodes and it's coming to Netflix when? I don't know. Um I don't know how I like I mean obviously a live action bebop has been in the works for years and years and years at this point and I guess to see it finally have a chance to become a real product is is interesting I'm like I'm trying not to get my hopes up about this like I did like the Death Note live action movie but I also I'm also trying not to have too low of expectations. Like, if anything, I I kind of feel indifferent about this. Like, I'm again, I'm I'm not like everyone else who seems to think that because a live action version of your favorite thing exists, that you know your favorite thing is going to disappear. <laughs> so yeah, you know. I mean, if it's good, I'll watch it. If it's not good, I probably won't watch it. It's like exactly like 
the live action FMA. I didn't. I heard it wasn't good. I haven't watched it yet. I yeah. I would highly not recommend watching that. Um, I couldn't even finish it. <laughs> um, I'm hope I'm hoping this will be good, but I mean, also at the same time, I'm kind of at that mindset now where it's like, if you're gonna do a live action version of something animated, like you really need to bring something new to the table and not just like retell the same story that we've all seen a million times from the source material. Like, I'm kind of at that point now where it's like, I don't even bother getting upset at these things. I'm just like, you know, if it's good, great. If it's not, I still have the original Bebop series to um, to go back to. So I, I don't really feel like I lose anything either way. But I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Bebop benefits from live action. But again, you know, if they do something interesting with it, that'll be great. It's too bad that Keanu Reeves is too old to play Spike Spiegel now. <laughs> but uh, speaking of classic series coming to Netflix, uh, Netflix is bringing over uh, quite a classic. They're bringing over, uh, finally, Evangelion to stream it. Whoa. That's right. Netflix has acquired Neon Genesis Evangelion, the TV series, The Debt and Rebirth, and The End of Evangelion films. And they're going to debut it on their platform next spring. Uh, they are apparently going to be redubbing it as well, according to the original director of the original ABV dub of Evangelion. But yeah, I mean... Netflix has cut through the red tape and has uh, brought us Evangelion 2 streaming. Finally, it just took someone with enough money and willingness to pony it up to Gainax to acquire it, and they have done that. But, of course, the news of the redub has upset many fans of that dub, and especially the original actors of those characters. And so there is a petition going around now to get the original Ava cast back for the new Netflix redub, uh, you know, from, by uh, Tiffany Grant, who is uh, the original voice of Asuka and the original uh, uh, ADV dub of that. So uh, fans can support that uh, change.org petition. Uh, that I, and like there's also supportive tweet Twitter hashtags uh, like... Hashtag Spike is Shinji. Hashtag Tiffany is uh, Asuka and stuff that you can also tweet out. Uh, just to let Netflix know that, yeah, we uh, we want the original uh, cast back for this new dub. Like, this new dub, that's fine, but, like, get the original cast back. Uh, but uh, Win Lee, who directed the original ADV dub, wrote on Twitter on November 30th that the new dub, while it's definitely happening, and she's disappointed with the decision that uh, she's met the new dub director, and she believes Ava's in good hands. So even if they don't get the original cast back, it should turn out to be a good dub regardless. And even if Netflix does not put up the original dub, or they don't bring up the original voice actors of the dub for this new dub, uh, you know, hopefully... At some point, the original dub is still made available for people to revisit. But yeah, Evangelion, finally, there's a legal way to experience that show again. I am so excited. I am so happy. Like, I'm totally going to do an Eva rewatch when uh, that hits Netflix. It's about time. And yeah, this is great. One of the most influential anime has finally... Uh, on legal streaming for everyone to watch and it being on netflix just means that a lot of attention will be put on it 
And uh, that's going to be fun to see how Twitter responds to it uh, when that hits in spring. But uh, speaking of iconic shows, we have some more news on Netflix's uh, Saint Seiya remake anime that they're premiering next summer. We've got some new visuals. We've got a trailer. We've got confirmation that the global launch will be next summer. That the anime's first 12-episode season will feature the story from the Galaction Wars. So Silver Saint Sark and each episode will about be uh, 30 minutes long or so. So we are able to have a better look at the show now. Uh, and I've seen the trailer and I have mixed feelings. The CGI is fine, but this is certainly not a fateful adaptation of the manga uh, at all. Because uh, we have like scenes of the Saints fighting helicopters and uh, they've changed <laughs> Andromeda Shun's gender so that Andromeda Shun is a girl now. Uh, okay. Well, you know, that's fine. But, like, I don't know. They're making changes. It's not certainly not a fateful adaptation. And it's kind of cheap that they chose the most effeminate member of the Saints to turn into a woman. Because, like, you know, it would have been much bolder and cooler if they, like, took Dragon Shiryu and made him a woman. You know, it's like, oh, you chose the most obviously effeminate character to make them a girl. Like, you could have tried a little harder. It's it's not going to, like, make... Unless you, like, rewrite some of the parts of the story, it's also going to be even more problematic. Because, like, Andromeda Shun it constantly has to be rescued by Phoenix Icky. Like, literally every arc, there's a moment where Andromeda Shun has lost to someone, is almost about to die, the Phoenix Icky comes in like a badass and is like, what are you doing to my little brother? And then kills the guy. It's like, this happens in every arc. It's like... <laughs> Andromeda Jusun is a character who is constantly in need of being bailed out and rescued. So it's like, you know, that's not really great to have your only female character be put into that role. Like, not only female character, but like you change one of the, like the one of the main saints to be in that role. Like I don't know. I feel if you put if you changed Shiryu's gender, that would be better. But Shiryu is a character who is like, you know. <laughs> he's a character that has like really masculine ideas that would be interesting if you gender bent him and like still explored them with him. So I don't know. I, I feel like I I'm all for like changing genders uh, in order to add more diversity and like more representation. But like, I feel like they made kind of the, the most easy, but also like the least interesting choice in changing Shun's gender. Anyway, uh, I'll definitely watch the show, obviously. I love Saint Seiya, but and I'm kind of have mixed feelings about, like, what I'm seeing from the trailer and, like, what what changes they're making to the story. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I, I mean, I actually think it's more interesting that this isn't a straightforward adaptation, but, like, at the same time, that's not what you... Pr you promised a straightforward adaptation. But I also don't know if the changes you're making are going to, like improve the story it really depends on the execution so uh, we'll see i guess how this new saint sia show turns out but you know I'm, I'm looking forward to it still because i love saint sia as i am looking forward to the new ghost in the shell standalone complex anime netflix is going to premiere in 2020 directed by kenji kamiyama and shinji aramaki produced by production ig and solo digital arts 
that's going to be in 3D CG. This is like a direct sequel to Standalone Comics. You've got the original creative team back. And it's exciting. It's going to come to Netflix. Like, I, we don't really know, like, what the new premise of this is going to be. But, like, uh, you know, we got an announcement that there would be more uh, GITS on the way last year. And that this new anime project would have two 12-episode seasons. And this looks to be it. And, yeah, I love Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. That's, like, the best version of Ghost in the Shell, probably. And so, yeah, I'm super excited for more of it. It's a little disappointing that it seems like it will not be able be airing on Adult Swim since Adult Swim, you know, that they co-produced the original series. But that's okay. You know, I'm just excited that it's on Netflix and uh, that that you know it's more standalone complex. Like what? And we got the team who originally made it back together for it, which is really really cool. And uh, yeah. That's great for GITS fans. And even for Adult Swim fans who are disappointed that Sandalone Complex won't be returning to Adult Swim, there is a new anime project to look forward to still because Crunchyroll and Adult Swim are teaming up for a new Blade Runner anime. That's right, an anime based on the acclaimed Blade Runner films, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, uh, the new anime project that Adult Swim and Crunchy Girl are making is going to be called Blade Runner Black Lotus. It's going to have 13 30-minute episodes produced by animation studio Solid Digital Arts. And uh, it's going to be directed by Shinji Aramaki and Kenji Kamiyama. So like same, so they, they're not getting Ghost in the Shell, but they're getting the same creative team doing this Blade Runner anime for them. And not only that, Shinichiro Watanabe is also a creative producer on this project. So this is an all-star creative team here for a really, really classic uh, film. And just uh, seeing how they might interpret and imagine this world as an anime. Like after Blade Runner uh, Blackout 2022, like... After how interesting that was, like, I'm really interested in uh, Black Lotus. Like, I really like the Blade Runner films. I love these cre- this creative staff that's going to be involved. And I think that this collab between Adult Swim and Crunchyroll is going to create just a really amazing show, you know? So, yeah. Uh, so this is really, really exciting. Uh, there's just so many cool new anime projects that have been announced that are coming out that I'm, I'm blown away. And speaking of cool new anime, or cool anime, uh, let's talk about some of nominations that Mirai has gotten. Mirai Mamoru Hisoda's latest film that uh, debuted earlier this year and recently got some theatrical screenings. It's getting some award attention, too, because it's been nominated for the Annie Awards alongside uh, MFKZ Motherfuckers, which G-Kids also uh, licensed and released theatrically over here uh, back in October. And so those have been nominated for the Best Animated Independent Feature category alongside, say, Manafika To, Ruben Brandt, Collector, and Tito and the Birds. And Mariah has also received a nomination in the category for Astounding Achievement for Writing in an Animated Feature Production. And uh, where other nominees in that category include Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Wars, and Key Titans Go to the Movies. So, very, very exciting uh, that Mariah and MFKC have uh, received these nominations for the Anime Awards. But in addition to that, 
Uh, Mariah has also been nominated for the Best Animated Feature Award for the Global and Golds, alongside All the Dogs, Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks Internet, and Into the Spider-Verse. And yeah, so Mariah has gotten some great awards attention. Uh, I don't know how good its chances are of uh, winning either award. I would say that having seen uh, all the films nominated for this uh, glo- for the Golden Globe, except for the Spider-Wars film, since that hasn't come out at the time of this recording, uh, I definitely say Mirai is easily the best in this category and the most deserving, but uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, which one, which will win. I really feel that Disney's films this year were are not off the snuff, so... I think I would be disappointed if, if like, day one in place of Mirai, but, you know, that's that's how it goes. Uh, either Mirai or Spider-Verse, those are what I'd be really satisfied with in terms of what won the Golden Globe for Best Anime Feature. I mean, Spider-Verse, at the very least, I've, like, I've heard nothing but good things about it from, like, its previous greetings and stuff, so. Yeah, so, like, I would be satisfied with either Mirai or Spider-Verse spinning this, but... Yeah, we'll see. I'm just glad that Mariah is getting nominations. You know, even if it doesn't win the awards, I'm glad it uh, got the nominations because I do think it is a deserving film because it's a really good film. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it shows Mamoru Hosoda's maturity as a filmmaker and like uh, I really respect it a lot about it and I, I was enthralled and enamored by its creativity. So definitely would recommend it as someone who... Uh, was not a big fan of uh, his previous film, Boy and the Beast, and even had some issues even with uh, some of his films before that. I think Mirai is definitely among his best films yet. But that about does it for news at this point in time, because we had more news, but this show has already gone on very long. We could probably go on for another... I don't know how long. That's don't even say, much. don't say for another hour. I'm going to like, I'm going to break in the dust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't even need Thanos to evaporate you. You'll just disintegrate all on your own. Just thinking about the stress of it. Look, if Thanos came up to me and was like, I'm going to erase you out of existence. I'd be like, yeah, bitch, me first. I'd snap my fingers and I'm going. All right. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, anyway, we'll save that for the next show. Our last couple pieces that we intended to cover this time but for now we're gonna dovetail into community shout outs and so colton uh what is your community shout out for this week yeah so uh mine's mine's fairly quick um in that uh so i don't, I don't know if we've talked about him on the show at all or if we've like name dropped him but uh, he's somebody i really want to have on the show who i've podcasted with before and i always love talking to him uh, Grant the Thief on Twitter, who uh, is also the host of uh, the Blade Licking Thieves movie podcast, where uh, he and his two friends like to review different movies from uh, basically any kind of like Eastern media, not just like anime movies, but a lot of like Kung Fu movies, any like uh, most especially any like tokusatsu movies involving like kaiju and all that uh basically a- anything that's anything that's asian uh they're up to uh watching and talking about it's a really fun podcast and i've seen a lot of really interesting movies because of uh their show um but uh their podcast isn't really what i wanted to mention what i wanted to mention is that um i mean first off if you're not following grant on twitter you should really fix that um he is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet 
Um, he's also very funny. Um, <laughs> he that's kind of his brand is that uh, he makes a lot of uh, really dumb, sometimes even dad jokes. But you know, some some of us actually you know like his jokes as much as he likes to uh, deprecate all over himself. You know, um, I think he's uh, one of the funniest people I follow. Um, you know, he started doing uh, you know threads and whatnot uh, about a year or two ago. He started watching Intama and he did his own like one episode per tweet kind of thread, which I that in itself I thought was uh, always entertaining as a someone who's very into Gintama. And uh you know, since then he has started his own uh he started his own one piece uh manga thread where he basically dedicates at least one tweet per chapter and also another tweet basically talking about, you know, whatever uh standout a panel or piece of art from that chapter he's read and he kind of likes to uh go in and uh, sort of analyze what works about certain uh panels and pages from that particular chapter of one piece i say he started this thread but he's actually started another thread because one piece obviously is one piece and is very very long at this point that like like there's no there's no way he can um, that he can um, analyze all of One Piece in just one Twitter thread. He's basically had to start another thread dedicated to One Piece as he continues his read through of the manga. I uh, I haven't I haven't actually um, checked up on his thread recently. I'm actually a little behind, but uh, you know I've read enough of his thread to where I'm very confident in that. Uh, you know if, if you're on Twitter and you follow Grant, and you check out his One Piece read-through thread, that uh, you'll really get something out of it if you're a One Piece fan. And hey, maybe if you're not, even even if you're not into One Piece, I'd still say it's worth checking out just on the, um, uh, just on the standpoint that it's really interesting to see uh, Grant kind of um, analyze comics and what makes them work as a medium. Uh, so yeah, again, I, I can't really vouch for Grant enough. Like you really should follow him. E even if you're not interested in his, in his one piece thread, R really just follow him, send him a tweet, tell him Colton sent you and that you, you listen to me on manga Mavericks gush about how great he is. So, uh, Grant, if you're listening, hi, um, I'll definitely leave a link in the show notes for his, uh, for his one piece thread. And uh, yeah, just just go, just do yourself a favor and go go follow that thread. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it like every day, like of the year, basically. And Grant kept this up for quite regularly for almost the entire year, and he's in Water Seven now. I've always enjoyed reading his thoughts on the series as they develop, like his his theories about certain characters or what he expects and predicts. And also, of course, his art analysis is always top-notch and incredibly uh, insightful. Like, he has a great eye for this stuff. So it's very informative and very entertaining. Definitely check it out. And just check out Grant's Twitter and his podcast in general. I always enjoy listening to Blade Licking Deeps. But, yeah, uh, as for my community shout-outs, now, I am once again going to promote Anime Feminist because they are in the midst of a very awesome Indiegogo campaign to help improve their site, you know, be able to offer even more things for their commute for their community uh to make their site even more accessible uh to provide transcripts for their podcast and 
they have done an amazing job within the first 24 hours they cleared their major goals and their they've cleared their first uh, stretch goal and by the time that you're listening to this I bet they've cleared their second stretch goal to, to get a centralized order list of like every review they've read in and stuff so they're doing extremely well with this campaign and I want to promote it you know just to direct some more people their way to like support their project and you know because uh, Amelia has written several pieces, you know, being very transparent about, okay, this is how we have calculated the, what uh, we need to raise and why we need to raise this amount, like where the money will go and what the cause is for. And, you know, they've uh, really taken into account how much they need to spend, how much time investment that uh, they'll need to give in order to turn around on deliverables and like where they want the platform to be uh, in certain time frames so there's a lot of thought that's been put into the development of the site and the more that their campaign raises the more po- the flexibility and more that they can do and so i'm really excited for them and i'm really excited to see what comes out of their them and uh i think amelia has written like just this really awesome and helpful piece about how to create a successful uh, funding campaign uh, using uh, social fundraising p- platforms that shows like really incredible insights that are I think will be really helpful if anyone ha- has ever considered using Kickstarter or Indiegogo or anything to create or fund a personal project of their own and like what considerations you need to keep in mind. So I want to link that, but of course, you know, there's also other great pieces that uh, they've published recently like a piece by Michael Coolwood about Boruto and how Boruto kind of depicts gender roles in the Naruto world and kind of, you know, how all the female characters from Naruto and Boruto have basically become stay-at-home moms and how this reflects kind of like the Japanese uh, work culture and like domestic culture. And so these are really real insight, really interesting insights into like Japanese workplace culture through the, through what we see in Boruto that I thought was a very interesting take, but also a very interesting piece was from uh, Asad Abdurrahmani on case closed and the normalization of gaslighting, basically looking at kind of the problematic aspects of how uh, Shinichi's lying to Ron about uh, his identity as Conan and also like kind of playing with her memories and making her doubt herself has like real like damaging psychological effects that are kind of dangerous to romanticize when you like take them out of a fictional scenario and consider them in a real life context, which I thought was a really interesting and uh, very insightful uh, look at kind of an underlooked aspect of the manga and thinking about, oh, here are like the social ramifications of this that we need to consider and we need to kind of challenge these kind of tropes in our storytelling. But it's from the perspective of a fan who absolutely loves the series, but also is willing to acknowledge, you know, this is something that isn't so great about it and we need to kind of question and think about in a in a different context and kind of like improve upon when we kind of crit, crit, when we uh, talk about these series critically and uh, and when we continue to write future stories. So I thought that was a great piece as well. 
But uh, outside of anime feminist, because I don't just want to talk about them, I'm going to also promote this video from Caribou Coon, who recently put out a one hour and 45 minute video uh, describing every Ashita no Joe reference in Megalobox, which was an insane undertaking. He found like almost like 300 di- re- different references Damn. Uh, uh, from Ashita no Joe in Megalobox. And I didn't watch the entire video because I also didn't want to spoil myself on uh, some the parts of Megalobox I haven't seen yet. But like the his eye for detail, his eye for all the different references Megalobox made in the term context of Ashita no Joe, like even subtler stuff that even I as a big Ashita no Joe fan did not even pick up on was just incredible like he put so much work into it like this is an insanely detailed and fun video if you're an Ashita no Joe fan and a Megalobox fan and I highly recommend it like to really appreciate like just what a love letter Megalobox was to Ashita no Joe and how it truly kind of encapsulated its spirit in terms of what it took from that series and repurposed for its own narrative. And so, yeah. So, uh, put links to all of that stuff in the description. Uh, really great stuff from Anime Feminist. It'll throw this great video from Caribou Coon and check out their channel in general because they've made a lot of great videos looking into older anime, which is... Stuff that, you know, anime YouTubers don't normally focus on, but I really appreciate. Like, they have a great video about uh, how the recent, like, comparing the different anime adaptations of of Magical Circle Guru Guru to its manga, and also uh, top 50 Yuris Yatsura episodes for newcomers. Like, some really great videos. so definitely check out their channel. It's great stuff. And as always, check out Anime Feminist and uh, support their Indiegogo campaign because they are probably the, they are, in my opinion, like the best anime journalistic, journalist site uh, right now, like on the scene. So there we go. Uh, that's my community shout outs. And I think that does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks, another very long one. Yeah, I I guess. Yeah, that's, that's about it for the show. Thankfully, um, as much as I love talking about news, I also love I also love eating and going outside and enjoying the day, even though it might be kind of cold out. I'm I still I still have other things I got to do today, guys. I'm sorry. I if I could podcast all my life, I would actually no, I wouldn't. I don't even know why I said that because I totally wouldn't. I would get so tired of podcasting. I don't know how people do it. Um. Anyway, enough of my rambling. Um. So, Lum, where can the good people find you? You can find me at Lamariasha on Twitter and under Lamariasha on various sites, including Anime Show Revelation and AnyList. Wherever there's a Lamariasha, that's where you can find me. And you can also read my reviews on all-comic.com. I recently have written reviews for movies such as Mirai and uh, Pokemon The Power of Us. So you can check those out there. And yeah, I hope to have more reviews up in the future very soon. All right. And as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I host a few other podcasts such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast. If you're a fan of Gintama, please go listen to that show over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. We're on a bit of a hiatus, but we still have a huge backlog of episodes that you can listen to. Oh, you should also, speaking of Case Closed, uh, you should go listen to uh, One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. Basically, my friend Doctor and I, a uh, doctor from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast, we basically uh, talk about the case closed manga or Detective Conan, whatever you want to call it, as is 
still being released by Viz Media. Uh, I really enjoy recording that show. So again, that's at onepodcastreels.com. Please go listen to that. But as for the podcast, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks and all of our uh, sub-podcast over at all-comic.com, where we post every episode first. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks, as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel over at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, where we post excerpts from the podcasts, uh, such as news pieces and discussion topics, um, and maybe even some, some exclusive content as well every once in a while. Um, also I should mention that you can listen to the podcast on Spotify now. Spotify, uh, apparently has podcasts you can listen to. And so I decided to put up our podcast on there. Uh, so if you use Spotify, now you just have another place to listen to us. And, uh, hey, you know, if you have anything you want to email us about, uh, what do you think of all the news we talked about in this episode? Uh, email us anything about what you're reading or anything about the podcast in general over at mavericks at gmail.com, and we'll read them on the show. Uh, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever you call it. Uh, it really helps the visibility of our show, so please do that if you have the time. Um... But that is going to be about it for this very long episode of Manga Mavericks. Uh, This has been episode 70, and we will see you guys next time for episode 71. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!